0: G money, yo! What's up, man? What's going on? We had to make a special, special trip. This is this is what our fourth or fifth uh, time. Goes. Well, yeah, we traveled the islands before Trinidad.
1: Trinidad, You we went to Vegas. Yeah. Vegas, I for forgot. Eric B. Yes, we yes. To, um, yes, yes. Where else we go? You we went to uh, Jersey for
0: what? Huh, yeah. For
1: somewhere for another the, the guest?
0: Yes. Can you please flip the screen to me, please, Michelle? Thank you. We have Michelle here. She almost got fired, but I guess oh that's us not true. But before we introduce our guest, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm feeling good, man. I think I was telling Michelle behind the scenes. We need, might need it for the studio, these couches or something. Because I think we am getting tired of those chairs, man. You know? got This is comfortable. A little pillow action here. You know what I'm saying? Um, Shout out to today's sponsor, man. Uh, Yo, hold on. You came to D.C. with a sponsor? Free them all, clothing line. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to keep it real you. Actually, this guy... Dropped off a bag full of clothes for me and masks, so he wasn't an official sponsor. But I just feel like showing some love today, man. So you he, come all the way to he D.C.? He gave me so many
0: clothes. I had to just say something. I to shout him out. I don't get... So, right, so where's my compensation for this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> G! Yo.
1: Free more clothing line. What's up, man? Also, shout out my big cousin in the building. Shaka, he's in the building. Shout out to Shaka. You know, we, we out here. It's time to make sure, you know, this is his first... You know, he been wanting to come... Watch, out, watch us in action for a long time, man. He's a big fan of the show. Thank you. Supporter. He's my, my big bro. My big cousin.
0: First of, all, first of all, before we get to round of applause for us finally hitting 200,000 subscribers. Yes. Woo, feels good. Nice. The top feels so much better than the bottom. So much better. Well, that sounds crazy, <laughs> but so much better. All right, let me shout out, first and foremost, shout out to my homegirl here, Dora. You know all what right. I mean? Shout out, round of applause for her. Um, she doesn't want me to say what she does she's hiding but she says that she's a social media influencer Hmm. she talks about locks and how women can lock their doors and be safe but yeah she has some type of lock thing and but that's not true she has a a government job but i can't say it (laughs) i really want to expose her but she asked me not to Hmm. i told i I, I should right
1: how good how good of a friend are you right now let's see
0: she makes more than six figures a year i expose her
2: <laughs>
1: sorry, Ooh, sorry. how good of a friend are you, shout, you, out you. Yes. shout out to everybody in the building on the trip
0: shout out to Baski shout out to Michelle yes you know what I mean and um but I'm happy it's it about like to good. be a good one
1: I, f- I feel the energy
0: I feel DC energy. we are here <laughs> We're taking over. I have my glasses on. I'm looking professional. Oh, gosh. You know, our guest can't be the only one with glasses. You know what I mean? Looking smooth. He, he got jokes as well. Yes, he does. He does, right? He does. And you almost gave him a he cool. He was... No, sh- you can't do that. G-Money! Yo. Episode 171. Nigga, hey, we, we made, made it. <laughs> we have a special guest. Yes. Oh, man.
1: It's going to be classic.
0: He went viral on YouTube. Uh, well... He did. And he, didn't, he didn't even know it. He didn't know it, yes. <laughs> he yes, didn't even yes, know yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Do we call you Professor now? No. Just call me Dan. Round of applause for Dan Riley, people. Round Dan of applause. Riley. I wanted to call him O'Reilly, Riley, A Riley, but his son. Round of applause for Big Dan, too. Big, Big Dan, Dan back there <laughs> looking at me like, play." I already corrected you, Flip. Don't, don't play with me. <laughs> Dan Riley, retired yes. FBI agent. Yes.
3: Dan the man.
0: Dan the man, is and now you—you you also a professor? Yes.
3: Yeah, I'm an adjunct professor at uh, George Mason University. George Mason University. Mm-hmm. What is an
1: adjunct professor? Can you break that down for me? It's like
3: a, a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> a rookie not, not like a real professor. I'm part time. I uh, I work. I I only have have to handle one class per semester.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Sounds
3: good. I'm not, and I don't really. You know, I'm not a full-time employee or anything like that at the university. I just, I go there, you know, they they do a uh, semester-by-semester contract for me to come and teach a class. Okay, sounds dope.
0: Well, welcome to Flip the Script. Yes. Please,
1: you know, tell us about your first encounters with Flip the Script. how'd How'd you hear about us? Um...
3: When your man Bosky called me the other day. First time
2: I ever heard of y'all. I'm sorry.
3: I'm not, you know, I'm not. No, it's so, nah, that's why, cool. Listen, it's cool. you do that? Why you make that's this so crazy? Why? No, listen, everybody doesn't know I mean, about everything, you know, man. Why you did that?
1: <laughs> Everyone doesn't know about everything.
3: You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 what's, the only, the only I'm a DJ. I, had I don't know every song was, in the world. Was you know, know what I'm saying? You know, watching how to, you know, uh, repair my car on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then but then your, your your son is aware it was. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he, he watches the show. So what did he tell you about, about our show?
0: Well, I think, I think, I think, because you're putting us deeper in the hole. No, we're not. Think, I think Big Dan became aware at the same time as the OG Dan. Okay, I w- actually. Right you're putting us in the hole, man. We no, we're not crazy, man. Listen, let's, man. Let's I, look like Big. Let's look like Dan reached out to us, man. We have
1: a big platform. I'm Not worried about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't worried about that, man. You know what, you what I'm saying?
0: G, got you, G. Got you, G. I think that I think that um, definitely we are excited. I think what happened was, you know, we've been hearing stories, man. About about Mr. Riley. Mm. And, you know, we couldn't wait to get him on the show. It's time. It, it's about that time. It was time. But before before that, I want to say welcome. Thank you. I'm tired, but I'm here for you. Okay. You don't look tired. You look up.
2: Mm. Mm. You look younger <laughs> than me.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... How we get started? Man,
3: you're way too pretty to be looking my age. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh
1: thank you. Thank you. Well, well, that was a
0: good one. That was, thank
3: you. See, no. nice
1: way guys. He cool, right? Yeah, he yeah, might, yeah, that just, was a nice one. getting close.
0: Br- bring us to, tell us who Dan is. Bring us to the beginning. Childhood, where you was born. Tell right. us about your parents. I,
3: would, I was I uh, was born from in Mobile, Alabama in 1948. Do y'all mm. even know how long ago that was? <laughs> uh I was one of 13 kids, mm. Irish Catholic family in Mobile, and I grew up in, across, right across the street from the Catholic high school and the Catholic girls' school, and, and that, was, that was the beginning of my life. Mm. When, uh, when I was a sophomore <coughs> in high school, my father died, and wow. so things kind of took it down. And uh, so I, I finished high school and went into the army right away, because back then everybody got drafted. So if you didn't get drafted, you had to try to join. So uh, I got I went through training and then I got sent to Vietnam when I was 18, and served in Vietnam for a year. Then from Vietnam, I got sent to Germany, and lived in Berlin, Germany, uh, and worked for the uh, military over there. I got out of the army in 1969, came back to uh, Mobile and worked as a photographer because that's what I was trained at in the army. I was a combat photographer in the army. And uh, came back to Mobile and, and did a little of that. But um, the guy who hired me didn't, wasn't able to keep me on because he didn't have enough money. And so I ended up going to work for the shipyard and I worked in an out, as an outside machinist uh clerk. If that makes any sense to you for a while. And decided that getting up at four in the morning was not my cup of tea. So I figured I needed to go to college. And I started and that's when I started going to college was
2: nineteen seventy. Hmm.
1: All right, we we got we gotta take a little a trip back, you know, up on you know, me and me and Queens football. Not sure. We like to get into a little more details with the childhood story before we get to the. You know, you kind of jumped through the, the whole life already, man. You went to the. the, 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 the uh, you know, what do <laughs> kids do? I played
3: basketball, baseball, and football, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, as,
1: as far as uh, you know, the household, like you know, you said you had thirteen, or you had, or twelve other siblings, right? Yeah. So, what was that like? What were your parents like? You know, like.
3: Well, my my father and mother were, you know, loving, great parents. Mm. Uh, I lost. Three brothers, uh, to childhood diseases, wow, and a sister too. She was born still, and uh, then when I was young, my my oldest brother died in an accident. Um, and the, the household was just crazy. My grandfather mm-hmm. lived with us. My uncle lived <coughs> with us. I mean, it was a big, huge house, but it, you know, it cost my parents seventy-five hundred dollars. And you know we had like two store two two stories, and there were five of us in one room, and four of us in another room, and then my grandpa lived in the other room, and then my uncle lived in another room. The whole
1: family, everybody. Yeah, we were there,
3: and and every, we'd wake up in the morning sometimes, and our and my uncle and all of his kids were there, and my aunt. The next time we turned around, my aunt and all of her, because they were be, be in trouble or whatever financially. So, so our house was kind of like the center of of the family. Mm, and see. so we ended up, you know, uh, learning mm. not only about each other from our brothers and sisters, but we learned about things from our our cousins and our and our, all of our relatives. So it was kind of like a typical Southern house, mm. if you want to get right down to it. Right. I mean, we had a lot of you know a lot of fun and a lot of craziness. My father worked two jobs. He was a newspaper journalist. He was the mm. editor for the Mobile Press Register, uh, which was the local newspaper. And he also ran and published a uh, a news journal for the shipyard, which was a big business in the city mm. and so um, he was a great writer and really a terrific guy, but he was a little bitty short guy, and you know he ended up raising all a bunch of yahoos like us yeah but uh, <laughs> he died he died young, <clears throat> and because of that we you know we what, struggled.
0: What did he pass away from do you mind? heart attack. And it, mm-hmm. did it, when he, so when he passed away, you, you said that things changed. In yeah,
3: I mean, we, we weren't by any means wealthy, but he, he worked two jobs. And, you know, we had, we had, we knew that where the next paycheck was coming from and it was going to be all right. But after he passed away, I mean, we were like, we didn't have anything coming in.
0: Who had to step up in the family? Because, you know, usually well, at the
3: time, know. my two brothers were in the, in the military. Because like I said, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I got into that. Uh, everybody went into the Army or the Marines or the Air Force or whatever. So my, my oldest brother uh, went into the Marines and my second oldest brother went into the Air Force, and they were off serving their country when my father died. Mm. So my, oldest, my second oldest brother, who was in the Air Force, he came home first to try to help out, but he, they ended up sending him, his job ended up putting him up in Memphis, Tennessee, so we really didn't sort of get squared away financially until my brother Dennis came home. And he was the uh he wasn't the breadwinner but he at least balanced things between social security and you know uh the money he was bringing in and then the money that I ended up, you know, cuz I I had to work when I was in high school, my brother had to my other brothers had to work when they were in high school, we all had to work.
0: So uh Got us, got us to where we needed to be. Okay, and you guys, and, and how, and how was Mom's though? Like after the trend, thing, like how was she able to cope with the transition?
3: It, it was tough on her, and you know, I mean, I can say a lot of things. She was, she was a very nice woman. She was a mm. good Catholic Christian woman. She spent all of her days and nights trying to help other folks out and uh, she was very generous with her time and very generous with her. I mean, you know, she ran like three different charities, and we were like, <laughs> how about slipping some to us? <laughs> but, you know, that was just the way she was. So
0: so you you, were, you playing sports. You said you played sports in yeah. high school? Yeah. Basketball, baseball.
3: Played basketball in, in my uh, freshman year in high school, and – uh I call that playing basketball. I was on the team, and they made me run the, the stairs all the time. That's all what I did, run up and down the stairs all the time because I, I was a good shooter, but I couldn't I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't jump or I wasn't very fast. So, and my high school team was pretty good. Uh, but I played. I was basically baseball a baseball player. That's what I was probably good best at at,
0: at baseball. Yeah. So why you didn't pursue it? Um, uh, wasn't that good.
2: <laughs> so I was, was just right. okay. I was all
0: right. Oh come on, Dan, Let me.
3: But I on, could Dan. hit.
2: Well, so I was telling. Just...
3: I was telling your friend over there that uh, uh, I got taught how to hit a baseball by Tommy Agee from the Nets or oh, from the Mets. Really? He was. He was a 18 year old kid lived right across the street from the park I played in, and he and my coach were good friends. When when Tommy had just been uh, picked by the, we didn't know which team he just he was drafted. He was going to be a pro. And he came over and helped, helped my coach teach all of us, and I'll never forget. He was a young, you know, 18-year-old kid, and he was like, "I've never seen arms like that." I thought, I thought, man, that guy's got to be the strongest person in the world. <laughs> and he'd sit up there. My coach could pitch, you know, straight up pitch. I think he pitched in college. And he, after practice, he would sit there and and, and uh, help Tommy, you know, keep his skills up. Mm. But uh, nice kid. And he'd, he'd just show you how to hit and all that kind of thing, and he showed me how to hit, and I could hit the ball.
0: So, so you graduate. Yeah. And then you said after high school you go into the
3: – Yeah, and a month after I, after I
0: graduated from high school, I went in the Army. Hmm. Hmm. Is it the same like they did now? Like how does the draft work? Do you have to go there and get drafted? Is, you have to sign well, up? Well, the way it worked uh,
3: <laughs> for all of us, meaning anybody that was my age mm. – uh, was that after you graduated from high school you had to you had to wait till you turned 18 and then you signed up for the draft. And once you signed up for the draft then you were eligible to go at any time. This was before they had a they had a lottery system. A lottery system came later. This was before that. And so basically what they said to all of us was that you graduate from high school, you turn 18, you sign up for the draft and we can come and get you anytime we want. Mm. So if you want to go get a job, or if you want to go to school, or whatever, make sure you get a deferment, or you're going to get drafted. Mm. And that was the—I mean—that was the rule. So we didn't know. So every one of my brothers and myself, we all went in Mm. at you know at some level. My brother, uh, my brother Mike, who's the next oldest or the next youngest. He's one. He's the oldest of. He's older than I am. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Whatever. Right above you. he actually got uh, uh, recruited to play football at the University of Alabama. He played for Bear Bryant, mm. and he was t- top athlete, one of the fa- fastest linemen in the state of Alabama at the time, and uh, played for the Bear, did four years. But during his four years, he, uh, he went into uh, ROTC and became an officer. So when he graduated, he went into the Army as an officer. But it was all about the same thing. Once you graduate from college— right. If you'd gotten student deferments all the way through, you had to go and you had to stand for the draft at that point. So if the draft was
1: mandatory. You, you, had, you had to sign up for it right at the high school. It was mandatory you sign up. There wasn't like no ifs, ands or buts around it. Once Everybody that was 18
3: years old, every male in the United States that was 18 years old had to sign up for it. Hmm. If you didn't have your draft card, you could actually be arrested if you were wow. 19 years old.
0: Did you shoot anybody in Army? Come on, man. Come on, man.
3: <laughs>
0: ah, <laughs> I think you can't talk about it. But... Come
3: on, man. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I had some serious stuff happen to me in Vietnam. Oh, you went to Vietnam? Yeah. Mm. I, was, I was in Vietnam in Canto down in the Mekong Delta for a year. Was it scary? <laughs> <What>? Yeah. <laughs> but it was also boring. It was also, you know, screwy. And we had... We, I mean, it was just, there were a lot of weird things. Like, uh, we all wanted to drink beer, but couldn't get beer. <laughs> 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 but we could get rum, so we all became like rum drinkers. And I some, got it. I mean, it was crazy. And uh, we all wanted to play baseball. Well, they had baseballs and they had gloves, but no bats. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they just catching. Playing catch. It, play catch yeah, it. <laughs> you just, so, you know, we're throwing the balls. And it, it, it was silly stuff like that. But I want
0: to I, I want to ask you an honest question. Um, back in those days, yeah, um, during the time there were people against going to Vietnam, yeah, right, yeah. Now your standpoint, for, because you a guy a true American, I can say, were you did you understand why you guys had to go, or did you understand why the people were saying not to go? Your well, honest opinion. Uh,
3: let's put it this way: I was not. I, I, the issue wasn't really brought home to me at any point until much later. Uh, but the bottom line is, is I was under the impression that we were fighting communism. And even last summer, I'm meeting, you know, we, ha- we have a, we have a, a biannual uh, uh, family reunion. Mm-hmm. And so I just proposed to all of my nephews and nieces, and I got a ton of them, as you can imagine with all the kids yes, in my family. Yes. Uh, I said, what do you think was more of an evil in the world, communism or colonialism? And so I didn't understand that difference when I was 18 years old. I mean, we knew that communism was bad because, you know, they didn't believe in God and they were treating people shitty. Yeah. I mean, Joseph Stalin had killed a bunch of Russians. Yeah. Everybody knew that. And the Chinese weren't exactly being friendly to their people either. Mm -hmm. So that was communism, but what we also didn't understand was colonialism. I mean, all things being considered, do you really
0: want? I, I mean, I can go into. I mean, I just don't know how far you want me to get hey, into go. Hey, go ahead. I, I asked you a question. I want you to come back to how you feel. So I want to know. Right. I'm on you. I'm so, on you, Dan. So
3: so so what what it comes down to is Ho Chi Minh, who was the leader of uh, of uh, of North Vietnam was, in quotes, a communist. So we didn't want to have anything to do with him. Here was the problem. In World War II, he was our guy. <laughs> yeah. We gave him money and we gave him guns and we gave him all the things that he needed to fight the Japanese to protect his people. And so Ho Chi Minh was the friend of the United States. The CIA had actually you know, been his mentor and had given him all the resources he need, needed to build basically a government for the people of uh, southeast asia or not what the hell was it called indochina in those days mm-hmm. okay that was vietnam vietnam was a name that, that came up later but um, he had a general that worked for him that was probably all of the stuff that that ho chi minh did was probably as a result of the support given to him by the by the american allies in world war ii uh, but his general And all of his people didn't want to be under the thumb of the French colonialists. Mm. And so they fought uh, a civil war against French colonialism in Vietnam. And he was the, the, the political leader of it. And he had a, I can't remember the general's name, but that particular general won a battle in Dien Bien Phu, which is in the Central Highlands in Vietnam, as far as I remember. And he won the battle, and that was right after World War II, and the French were like, all right, go ahead, take it. <laughs> but the French came to us and said, you know, they're all communists. So uh, Eisenhower at the time said, well, you know, we need to support a non-communist government in that region. And so uh, the, the result of the Battle of Dien Bien Phu was a peace agreement that everybody ended up signing, the Americans, the French— the North Vietnam, or, or the, the the communist government of the of Vietnam, and they developed a, or made a decision to split the country in half. So basically, what you're saying is, like taking the United States and cutting it in half and saying, you guys, you know, go with this guy mm-hmm. as your leader, and then we'll figure out our own leader down mm-hmm. here in the south. And uh, we were sort of brought into it by the French, basically the French saying, you know, you got to fight communism, right? But the French were really more concerned about colonialism, in my opinion. And colo- define colonialism. Well, European countries like England, for example, in the United States, dominated and controlled the economies of of the countries that they were that they that were their colonies. So, the, the British colonies, the United States, were dominated and controlled, and their ec- economy was under the thumb of the the British king. That's why we had a Revolutionary War. And that's why Ho Chi Minh probably thought the United States would be on his side, if it ever came down to Mm. it. But we chose the other side. And we chose the other side because he had decided he was going to go with the communists. It was a stupid mistake. Mm -hmm. But the thing that hit me when I was 18 years old, when I was in Vietnam, getting back to it, I'm sitting there with a bunch of South Vietnamese army guys around me and it's Ho Chi Minh's birthday and they're celebrating shooting their guns up in the air and having a good time. And I was like, why are y'all so happy about Ho Chi Minh's birthday? Well, he's the father of our country. He's like y'all's George Washington. That told me something. I'm like, I don't understand everything that's going on over here. And I understand communism and I, And I understand the terrorists that were going on in in my part of Vietnam in the south where villages were being taken over and and village elders were being killed and the whole uh, uh, village was being dominated by the VC, Viet Mm -hmm. Mm Cong. So, I mean, I'm getting the the, the morality of both sides of it. I'm like, I'm starting to understand as an 18-year-old. I don't know whether we're right or whether they're right. I don't believe that the communists are right because they don't treat people right. But on the other hand, we could have done better in terms of figuring out this for our own. In other words, the United States should be smarter than this, and I don't mm. think we were. I don't wow. think... We should have picked certain countries... I don't know how familiar you are with world history, but uh, Marshall Tito was a guy in Yugoslavia. He was like a communist, but he was the ruler of Yugoslavia. He, But the United States had a better relationship with him than the Russians did, Mm. okay, at one point. And that's how we should have treated Ho Chi Minh. We wouldn't have had a war in Vietnam.
0: Wow. What were the—real quick, back on Vietnam. Now, this is
3: all my opinion. It
0: ain't got nothing to do with uh, it. Understood. mm. What what were— the people that was against Vietnam, do you remember what were their reasons? Well, they
3: were primarily they were primarily concerned as why. For example, Muhammad Ali was mm-hmm. like, "Why do I want to go over there? I don't want to. You know, I don't know. Th- those people haven't hurt me. I mean, the only people that have ever hurt me in my life are white people here in the United States. yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so I can understand that, mm-hmm. and I can understand the students that didn't want to go and be drafted. In other words, most of the students. Most of the people my age, they didn't want to be drafted to begin with. I mean, mm. take our president. <laughs> Please.
0: <laughs> <Come on>. hey, <laughs> Lord. Hey, okay. You guys really want to talk about this? Yeah, yeah, Uh-oh. yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. yeah, yeah, Uh-oh. yeah, yeah crazy. Yeah, 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 good... yeah. Well, you, you have to be held responsible for your own words, Mr. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't put us in it, man. The words of Dan and Zen only. Um, But, 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 they didn't want to get drafted, and they were saying—so basically, the people back in the days, in the 60s, right, mm-hmm. they wanted us to mind our business, basically. Yeah. come down to it. We want you—we should mind our business and let them deal with it over there. Yeah, they,
3: they didn't—I think I think they had more—they were probably more sophisticated than I was as an 18-year-old. I mean, you know, guys were, were taking, you know, political science classes in school— and they were like, well, you know, this is just not right. Maybe they understood that dilemma that I'm talking about between which is worse, communism or, or colonialism. Maybe they understood it better than I did. Clearly they understood it better than I did in those days. But And so that was part of it. Part of it was just, you know, why would I ever want to go to war? You know, I'm perfectly happy here in the United States. I don't need to fight fight a war. And, you know, and I've heard that, you know, a lot. Over, would I have ever not gone to Vietnam? Would I have ever not joined the army? Mm. The answer is no. Even after college and all that, I would've. It was, as far as I was concerned, it was my duty to my country.
0: Mm. Period. Respect. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, avoid it or, or you know. So you would've still joined the army regardless? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, I can respect that. But you, do you believe that communism or colonialism. Well, communism. You said earlier, you know, you know, you're bringing me back to school because I, mm-hmm. I ain't gonna. Let, when I asked, I know people are like Queens Flip. Come on, you don't remember? When I asked, you said that. Just break it down for me one more time. Communism is basically when a long time. they don't long believe time they don't believe in God. They and, don't believe in God. Mm-hmm.
3: They and 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 they believe they believe in a government that controls all of the economy. So, God. like for example, what we're doing here right now today is is a money-making proposition for you. Mm-hmm. You would have a commissar. This man over here in the funny hat yeah. would be the commissar here, and he would decide whether or not y'all could do whatever you wanted to do. Oh. That's communism. Got it. Communism uh, uh, took farms, for example, and turned them all into uh, uh, farming co-ops. So everybody, every farmer, uh, you need to grow corn, you need to grow wheat, you need to grow cows. Mm. You got it? Well, no, man, I want to grow, you know, weed or whatever. Yeah. No, you can't do that. That So that's how communism would work. Gotcha.
0: And, and colonialism.
3: But colonialism is a whole different thing. Colonialism, you don't own nothing. The, the overseeing country, in most cases it was European, the overseeing country owned everything. Mm. And whatever commodities are being made are being made for the overseas country. So, like, for example, a country like India, forget it they were basically growing things and, and and manufacturing things that were immediately going to england hmm. and england decided how it all got distributed and who made the money but, but, but if I now I, i'm being you know no. oversimplistic about it but that's that's what colonialism was supposed to be in other words in the united states mm-hmm. the reason that we weren't happy about it is because we didn't have control of our economy the the king did. The king the King George could say, "No, I want y'all to 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 do this or that or the other thing. I want y'all to pay a tax on on tea. We're gonna send you tea, and you're gonna pay us a tax. Hmm.
0: The tea's coming from India or
3: whatever it's coming from. Hmm. You got to pay a tax."
0: Now I want to ask you a question because you you're a professor and and and, and <laughs> no, for real. thank you. I'm going to school, but I want to ask you honestly. America, right? Do you now that you you have learned or you know, you got knowledgeable over the years. They said that the Native Americans were here first, yes? Right. Does that make you feel any way? Do you think anything about it? Do you you feel like...
3: I think that Manifest Destiny, which was the justification for taking over the continent of the United States, uh, was the same as colonialism. In other words, we were acting because we thought we were smarter, we had a better you know system we had a you know a better economic program we thought we were smarter than the, than these crazy people that that moved their house every you know every season cuz mm-hmm. they wanted to be here during the winter and here during the summer we thought that was crazy and they didn't want to own property english speaking americans especially brought to this country this continent mm-hmm. the concept of property ownership if you, go, uh, if you look into the history of South America, for example, it doesn't exist. People don't, you know, in South America, maybe today they do, but, but the average Joe uh, Spanish person who immigrated to Honduras, let's say, or Venezuela or Colombia or Brazil uh, back in the day didn't automatically find a way to own property. They went there in hopes that they would be able to farm some property that was given to them on a grant situation by the king of Spain or by the king of Portugal.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Okay. In the United States, it was like there were companies like the, 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 uh, the Hudson Bay company or the uh, in Virginia, it was the, uh, I can't remember what Jamestown was, but it was probably the Jamestown company that when you came in, if you came into the, the country as a, as an immigrant in the united states they would say okay well you you got a chance to to buy to, or to own this plot of land over there if you go and and turn it into your own farmland and start producing something from it
2: mm-hmm.
3: and that basically what they were doing was they were taking property and and divvying it up and saying okay you're one of the guys so you get it and you're another one of the guys and you get it so so and so what the problem was mm-hmm. for african americans for example is mm-hmm. They weren't allowed to own anything. I heard about that. All right. So the, so once they became free, were they allowed to own property? Yes, but it, they did it at a different level. And so that's why it's a whole, man, you're really getting into me now. That's a whole thing about wealth building. How can we
0: become better as a country? Well, we have to start with wealth building. But The question I ask you, though, then, is that did you understand or agree the fact that America no Americans uh, uh, of course took it we from treated there.
3: of course we treated I, people right but they did the, right? the Indian the the the, the 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 indigenous people didn't want to own the property that's the whole point I'm getting I'm getting at okay they, they could have cared less what they were interested in is I want to be able to live here in the summertime To do what I want to do and do what I want to do here and then move where I want to next next spring. Or I want to do this and that. I want to, you know, I want to go with the flow of the way the, pro- the land is so I can make sure that my family's fed, that I can make sure that, you know, that I've got food on the table and all that. Because nobody was, nobody, the, the Indians weren't sitting around, you know, uh, trying to build, you know, money into a bank. No. <laughs> they, they, no. They just wanted to eat and survive. Yeah. And so did we treat them right? Of course we didn't. We were awful. But we, we were awful to a lot of people. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you know. your honesty. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I mean, my people didn't come here until the n- middle of the 19th century, so, mm. you know. And we were treated like shit by the English. Excuse my... No,
0: you can curse. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out. Get it out. So,
3: I mean, you know, I, I'm just talking about the history of the United States.
0: Because what I'm saying is that, because you, you had said something, sorry, pardon me, mm-hmm. G. You had said something that, that, that resonated with me, that stuck with me. You had said to me just now that, if I had an opportunity, I felt that it was my American duty to serve in the Army, mm-hmm. right? And when I think about people that say that, those are the people that believe in America. And free, like They believe in the flag and everything. They don't really agree with the n- n- people that say that usually. You know what I'm saying? The kneeling and a lot of different things that's going on. So then I asked you, I said, well, Dan, do you feel like what America did to the Indian people were okay? Was, was it justified? Did you feel like no, it was No, it's not okay? justified. That's what I want to know. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to keep it real. Yeah, <laughs> my man Dan. My man Dan. <laughs> so you
1: know, before we get into the 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 the, the spicy stuff, I know it's, it's almost time to get there. You know what I'm saying? I want to know. You know, take us back to your first day when you got drafted. I want to know what what, what that was like, and you know, just if you can kind of walk us through. Well, I didn't. I didn't was get it?
3: drafted. I joined the army. Joined. Okay, when well, you joined? Sorry, when right. you joined? So then, so, so um, I took a bus from Mobile up to Montgomery, Alabama, and mm. they tested the hell out of me. They gave me all sorts of tests. They gave me a physical exam. They gave me, you know, and then they cut my hair, which wasn't a big deal back right. in those days. So, you know, <laughs> I, my hair looked like yours. Okay. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's gone somewhere. I have no idea where. <laughs> did you have waves too? Or did you,
2: did you... <laughs> uh, I,
3: actually, I started losing my hair when I was about 25. So. Oh, <laughs> oh, Lord. So, but, um, um, yeah, yeah, and it was – you know then they started the whole you know military uh in getting me ready making me understand what i had to do what that have, you know what standing in attention meant you know how to march and right. you know it was just me and a bunch of you know young kids that were like going through it for the first time in their lives and they took me from Montgomery to uh Fort Benning Georgia mm-hmm. and i really should probably get into this a little bit with you guys uh, I grew up in in the Jim Crow South, yeah, and segregation was like a thing, and uh, during the ni- early 1960s, when the Civil rights era started, uh, we were all you know like, "Wow, what's going on?" And I got imp- I was impressed by the work that was done by the FBI uh, in the uh, murder of the three civil rights workers in Mississippi. I was impressed by the work of the FBI in the murder of Viola Lozo. That all happened when I was in high school. Mm. And I was like, you know. But I didn't really understand uh, all the issues. Right. Okay? I knew who, for example, John Lewis was, because he was from South Alabama. And I knew who Martin Luther King was. And I knew what the, you know, the bus, uh, all the busing situation was and i was like but i was just like an observer i was a witness Mm -hmm. to it all and i was like man but uh when i went through high school my personal relationship with african-american folks were basically through my family right my mother and father knew families and we met families but i never like had a i never went to school with you know anybody that was african-american i never had any you know, like close friendship. The closest thing I had to a friendship was when I was working throwing newspapers in downtown Mobile. The guys that I picked up my newspapers with were all black. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we used to kid each other and they told me how to make Chinaberry uh, uh, stuff and do things I probably shouldn't have been doing, <laughs> you know, but, but it was fun. And they were good guys and we had, but that was, you know, that was kid stuff. Right. Uh, what happened, my first actual overnight stay in the Army was I was putting a barracks in Fort Benning, Georgia, with half the barracks was black and half the barracks were white. I was like, well, I guess I better learn how to folks how to be around folks like this because I'm going to be around folks like this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's kind of if you want to get right that's down first, to it, uh, yeah, yeah. that was probably my first you know real <laughs> experience with socializing with the real world.
0: Right. do do, do you? you witnessed did you witness at a young age that black people were getting treated bad did you witness it yourself yeah That's but whatever. it was a, a,
3: and the only way the only way I could say this is to give you a a story that happened to me when I was like 8 or 9 years old please mm. my father like I said was a newspaper man and he wrote articles against the Klan because from us my family our history the Klan was the evil mm. i mean you know people were people um and my, as I said, my parents were were very religious people. They they didn't have any truck with you know people aren't equal, and they didn't have any truck with people that believed in doing anybody injustice. But my father wasn't hiring and firing people, and neither was my mother. She was you know that was just not their thing, and so they weren't like movers and shakers at that level. My father was very deeply involved in politics, uh, but. Because of his writings against the Klan, because the Klan was also against Catholics. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know they know. Yeah, they were like they killed uh the parish priest of my of my father when he was a, a young man in Birmingham. Ooh, in wow. in broad daylight, the Klan came up and shot him. Uh, and he was and the clansman who did it was found not guilty and was defended by uh a future Supreme court justice by the name of, uh, the hell is his name? Anyway, what's interesting about that particular Supreme court justice is he was one of the, uh, uh signatures in support of Brown versus the board of education. Ooh. So he went from being wow. a racist who worked for the Klan as a, as an attorney to being, you know, supportive of Brown versus the board of education. You know what I'm talking? I know. About? Mm-hmm. Way, yes, right. yes, yes. Um, So one night when when we're just sitting around being stupid kids in our house, um, we heard an explosion and we looked across the street at the Catholic high school and in front of the Catholic high school, which was on the other side of the block from us, Mm -hmm. we could see flames coming up. So they burnt a cross in front of the Catholic high school. And they burnt another cross in front of our Catholic church that was right down the street from us. Then they came and put a cross in front of my house. And my mother called the police department. Get the hell over here. And then she calls my father, who was at mm. work, because he worked two jobs. Mm-hmm. And she says, you called who? And, he, and she said, well, I called the police department. And she said, honey, half the police are Klansmen. So he gets on the phone to his friend, who was the sheriff of Mobile County, and who, who he worked for politically, and said, you know, there's Klan messing around around our neighborhood. So mm. the whole Mobile County Sheriff's Office showed up. And they were sort of like having, a, and I'm eight years old, and I'm watching this. So, all I all I can say is, it was an experience. And but from my growing up, the most evil in the world was the Klan. It wasn't, you know, I was worried about black people coming in and taking something from me, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or anything like that. Does that make sense? It makes one hundred percent sense. yes. All, yes, all yes. I'm saying is, is that that's that was kind of my experience, and I was like, okay.
0: And but but when you but but also as a kid, like you said, segregation, you know, the areas where black people were, you really didn't go in those areas. At oh yeah, time. I did.
2: You
3: did. Oh yeah, I got in trouble all the time. I got I got rocks thrown at me by the by the black kids. What are you <laughs> doing down here? So segregation was both sides. If you you, that may be kind of weird for you. Mm-hmm. but that's the way it was. In other words, if you were a white kid, what are you doing in our neighborhood? Well mm. Wow. No, no, nothing bad. It was, you know, kids, stupid stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you go down there, you know, I, 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 for some reason had to ride down through their neighborhood about something. I don't know what it was. I was on my bicycle all the time doing stupid stuff. And I went down there and sure enough, I got rocks thrown at me. So I was like, Oh, okay. They don't so, like me. <laughs> so, so, so
0: how, how was it as far as like you getting along with them, but black people, In the army, in the army,
3: I never had a problem. There there was one guy, one guy out of all of the fifty guys in my unit that I didn't get along with, and it was because he was very weird. He just was weird, and uh, nothing, you know, nothing specific. I think he was a real sort of uh, fundamentalist Christian, and was very concerned about going to war because he believed. That uh, it was illegal and immoral for him to ever, you know, raise his, you know, raise a gun against a fellow human being and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, he'd sit there and preach all the time. And, I mean, uh, I'd be like, I wouldn't be negative to him. I was just like, man, that's good, but I don't believe all that. (laughs) Tell him, shut up. I, no, I never, no I, don't, I never really confronted him. He was a pretty big dude. <laughs> but, you know, and I was just, you know, still kind of a, a dumpy little kid, you know, out of high school. It wasn't until later on that I grew to be 6'2 and was, you know, kind of formidable myself. But the bottom line is, um, he was the only person that I ever met that
0: I really didn't get along with. When did you start to understand the issues that black people went through, though? Did anybody sit there and explain that well, you see no no don't be i I'm, I wasn't that naive I mean I knew
3: that that segregation was stupid I knew that I that uh, that, uh, that there was you know racial injustice I mean that was obvious I mean I knew about uh, you know, lynchings and mm-hmm. you know heard personal stories about them I mean you know this is Alabama but you gotta understand something about Mobile. The city of Mobile is kind of weird. It was pr- predominantly Catholic. It was, you know, and the rest of the state is like no Catholics. <laughs> so Mobile the City was very Catholic. Mm. And uh, for example, Mobile City Police Department integrated in the 40s, which hmm. no other police department in the South ever did.
2: Mm.
3: And the reason is is because you know the, it it was made logical sense you know we don't we don't want white got white people going into the black community and and policing when they shouldn't be there we'll let black folks police black folks mm. that was the understanding of the people who ran mobile at the time mm. so i mean there was inequality and Equality, all at the same time, and didn't make a whole no, lot of kinda, sense. I got a lot going Justice on. and injustice, all at the same time, and people like me, who I, you know, it was like I wasn't like socially active. I, you know, I, I mean, I knew the civil rights movement was important because you could see,
0: you know, daily news. Yeah, but knowing is important, and feeling is important. is two different things, Mr. Dan. Exactly. That's what and I'm. Asking I don't that.
3: think I fully appreciated it until I got in the army. When I started having to rely on, you know, people who weren't my skin color to, you know, to be mm. my backup. Mm. And once I, once I understood that, and it didn't take me long over there.
1: That was it. I respect, I, was okay. I, respect,
3: I respect your honesty. I was okay. Yeah. But I don't know that I was ever, you know, and, you know, I understand the difference between racism and bigotry. Do you understand the difference? No. <laughs> Bigotry is hatred for no reason. racism is that you're just man, you're different. why should I have anything to do with you so and and in the South, there was paternalism, in other words, well, black folks are great, but I don't want to marry my daughter
2: mm. okay
3: uh. okay why what does that what difference is it you know in, in so you could sit there and sort of, you know, uh, in in the South, racism and bigotry were different. There were redneck assholes, excuse my French. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> who were in the Klan and who just hated black folks to hate black folks? Mm. But for the most part, people in the South weren't like that. Hmm. They they would be racist. They would be like, "Hey, let's keep separate. That's all. We don't have to join together." You know, and, 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 and it, all came, it all became stupid. It primarily became stupid with when, when, when uh, cities in the South started realizing, they started bitching, hey, we don't want busing. Okay, well, you don't want busing, but guess what you're going to find out when you do busing? <laughs> that the school system on both sides are crap. Okay? And so we need to fix our schools. Mm. In other words, black folks weren't going to good schools, but neither were white folks. So let's combine it all and have one budget and make the schools better. At that point, you start to understand, oh, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to make the whole thing better. And I think that actually occurred for a while. During, you know, right after the 60s when when things started calming down a little bit, especially after busing sort of got instituted, people started to realize, people in the South started to realize, you know, let's fix the whole school system. And 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 not figure out ways to pay different pay for different schools because we're not that's not successful either. Mm-hmm. I think does that make sense? It makes sense. Do you understand yes. what I'm talking about? I'm with you. I, I think people as 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 justice enters the picture as whatever you want to call it racial justice, social justice as it enters the picture, people start to say, oh well, that's the reason why we're doing this. Okay. And so, kind of the way I looked at it is, thank God we have black folks to come and be our damn you know wake up call and tell us what the <laughs> hell we're doing wrong, yeah, which I'm okay with well
1: i'm glad I'm glad they, they figured it out, you know, and got and well got they to, haven't figured uh, it out not, well but not completely yeah right. but in order <laughs> yeah.
3: to form a more perfect union right <laughs> we're still <laughs> so, working on it so so let's let's go back now, so you, you
1: serve you guys really want. to... <laughs>
3: Nah, I mean, we this, block, this is, how we you do know, it man, man, y'all, got, y'all got me going on <laughs> my philosophy. Of life. Hey, well, we're listening, man. Don't worry I about it. I hope y'all ready to, you know, write a check. I, G Money's going to give me some money for that.
1: Yeah, I got you right now. Hold on. I got you, I'm going to see some money right now. Hold on. Nah, G, stop see, it. See, 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 see Money. That's about $4 right there, Jeez. man. $4?
0: <laughs> $4. <laughs> Four.
1: Nah, so, all right. So, uh, you, you, serve, you serve the country. Yeah. You come home. You know, uh, uh, What was it like coming home now after after serving your country? Um,
3: I got called some names in airports, and, you know, I was in uniform. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, everybody thought that, you know, I was a Vietnam veteran, and therefore I was going to, you know, do something stupid. I was going to, I don't know, shoot up the (laughs) 7-Eleven or what. I don't know what the hell they thought I was going to do. Wow. But uh, it was weird, and nobody wanted to hire me uh, because a lot of places, especially – you know, major companies don't want to hire veterans because they they have to commit to hire. You know, to you know, protecting their veterans' rights. Right. And so, it took me a while to find work.
1: Were you affected by anything that happened happened over there? Where you were you a servant? Did you come home no. and you, know, you were good?
3: Well,
0: my mother said I was, but <laughs> well, you got to listen to Mama Love, man. Mama Love. No, you have to listen. Did you have PTSD? Did you no,
3: have I, nothing like that.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, nothing
0: that I
3: ever. Considered As you will. okay. Yeah. So, I don't. Th- I never. Uh, I never did anything that was that dramatic. Okay. That would have, you know, and you know, I caught a piece of shrapnel in my eye. I, you know, I, I did. I did some stuff over there that was kind of harrowing and scary, you know. Uh, but that's, nothing that's cool. that like I had any long term effects on. Thank God.
1: So what's next for Dan the Man? After that, you come home. You say you're trying to find a job. What, what?
3: Well like i said I, I i went to work as a as a photographer for about a year, and then that that he didn't have him because money. the man didn't have enough money yeah. to pay me and uh <laughs> I went then to work for the uh shipyard uh which was you know i don't know what was i making fifty dollars a week sixty dollars I don't know it wasn't a lot of money
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't a lot of money, man. you got something in the pocket, I, said, man. I had some change. He got some change,
3: in <laughs> hand, man. <laughs> but um, um, I just—I I was like amazed. I said, "I'm, I'm getting up every morning and going to work at four o'clock in the morning." Oh man! And it was ugly. And I said, "I just got to do something better than this." And I had—I had the GI Bill. I knew I could count on the GI Bill. So I said, "Well, I'll just go to school," because I'd hated school in high school. Right. Did, I wasn't a very good student, and uh, the school that I went to was a tough school. And, and so uh, I hated it, and I didn't want any part of it. But by that point, especially in the Army, I'd learned how to work for a living. And I said, going to school is a lot better than working for a living. Because, I mean, when I was in Vietnam, I worked 57 days straight, 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'd get a day off, and then I'd go go and work another 57 or another 60 days or whatever. So a, a day, one day off. <laughs> one day off. That's crazy. And, and, and that, because it was the war, and it was like what you had to do. You had to work every day, and you had projects that you were working on every day. Mm-hmm. So the point is, is that my, you know, uh, understanding of work had changed dramatically. <laughs> and so going to school was like a, a rest and so I did start school, and I did pretty well in, in undergraduate school. So, did, so you
1: when did the whole FBI thing come into
3: Well, I, I started the, uh, at, at the University of South Alabama in uh, political science. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they offered money, uh, basically scholarship money but grant money, if you joined a program called LEAP, which was actually part of uh, – um, a democratic program to improve the education of law enforcement throughout the country. And it was a great program, and it got killed because it didn't get handled right, apparently. Mm-hmm. But a lot, of, a lot of people that I knew who became police officers and agents and all that got the grant money and used it and got well-educated with it. And so between the two, between the GI Bill and, and that, that helped me pay for my college because I didn't have any money. Mother didn't have any money. Nobody in the family had money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went through. I ended up graduating with honors. Had a couple of like nice things that happened to me when I was in college, and uh, I was out of work from. I'm trying to remember. I don't think I went the summer. I was out of work from the spring of '73 through about the middle of fall of 73 during that whole time I was looking for work every day and and had initially I uh, applied for every place I could apply for I applied for the FBI the DEA the the marshal service but also applied all locally for every and the FBI was really the only one that hired me Hmm. and they hired me as a GS5 because I had the the photographic background and I had good grades in college and so that was here in D.C. I came to work in the FBI's laboratory mm. in 1973.
0: Wait, did you meet your wife at this time? No, she, a couple of years later, a few years later. So while you was in the FBI, you met your wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna get to that. So, 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 so <laughs> now you decided that you would wanted to join the FBI. Was that your goal?
3: Not really. No, I, I, it was. <laughs> it was really the bottom line. Was they were the only one hired me. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, I was like, I thought that I at least. I mean, I had good grades, and I, I I was served in the military and stuff like that. I don't. I you know, I didn't have any. But Mobile, the town of Mobile, wasn't just wasn't any kind of economic juggernaut, and you know, I knew I was going to have to leave the city if I was going to get any kind of decent job. Mm. So I was applying everywhere, and uh, you know, and that just—they just happened to be the first ones that said yes.
0: Even for the police department, you wanted to be—they
3: would—they wouldn't have—they wouldn't touch me. Why? Well, in those days, they really didn't want to hire college graduates. That department, those departments locally, they didn't want to—they didn't want to hire college graduates. <laughs>
2: yeah. mm.
3: It's a different world. Really? Yeah, it is. Seriously. They didn't want to hire. Co- I don't and they—they they damn sure didn't want to hire a veteran. At least that was my experience with them. Wow, but how old were you? As because I got told over and over and over again th- that I was overqualified. I'm like overqualified for what? I've had
0: like two jobs in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you was in real quick. How how long were you in the army for? Three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. So, but you were a young veteran. Yeah, I was. You're 20, still a veteran. I was 21 you know, when I, yeah. I was 20 when I got out of the army. And but they didn't want to hire you. No. So, but the FBI did. Now, when you first go join the FBI.
3: Well, I, w- when I was in the Army, I, I'd, I'd gotten um, a, a security clearance in the Army because I worked in a couple of areas where it was mandatory. Mm. And so, the, you know, the FBI liked that. And they liked the idea that I had good grades, and they liked the
0: idea that I had other training. They liked the idea that I was a veteran. Does the FBI hire people based off of this? Color? No, 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 sorry. <laughs> knowledge. I don't know what you were pointing. Knowledge, sorry, yeah, knowledge. You have to be smart. Well, you hope. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I had, mean, I worked with a lot of Hoover. smart people in in the <laughs> FBI. Edgar, Edgar, J. who, what's his name? Edgar, yeah, J. 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 Edgar Hoover. Jay, sorry, J., J. <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover. Was, was, was he still in charge by the time when you joined? He was just. Leaving, ending, right? Ending it, yeah. Yeah, oof. Here's another story. So <laughs> you, you um, you joined, the, you, so we're going to the process. They're the only people that will hire you. Right. And you were going to the FBI department. Into the lab. Into the lab, yes. Yeah. The lab as far as, what was your job well, in the lab? Well, this, this is what I,
3: uh, at that time, FBI headquarters was in the Department of Justice building. You you guys are not familiar with D.C., right? No. Uh, yeah. The Department of Justice building is at 9th and Pennsylvania Avenue, which is, halfway between Capitol and and the White House. Mm -hmm. That's where the FBI building is now. Mm. That building did not exist. Across the street is the Department of Justice building. Same area, okay? That's where the lab was. It was on the seventh floor of the Department of Justice building. And so that's where I went to work. So I lived on Capitol Hill. I found an apartment on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And I walked to work every day because I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. So I walked about a mile and a half every day to work. Mm. And that's how I started doing yet. what in the lab though I was a analyst which meant that I worked with photographic evidence because I had the photography background but I also did document examination which is handwriting and typewriting
0: analysis so but when you work in a photography that means you'd be able to spot some things to catch criminals
3: well one of the like one of the things that we eventually did was work with bank robbery film oh back in those days when you know you'd get a picture of a bank robber who and say well and somebody'd say well how tall is he? And yeah. I'd figure it out. Really? Hmm. Man, I was a smart dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how how is that possible though? How it... uh,
3: it's called uh, single image photo photogrammetry and it's in in, in the beginning <laughs> See you're acting like That's <laughs> amazing.
1: No, I'm no this is just normal I stuff. T- I want to I want to you right at the single image photogrammetry I'm
3: uh, was in the beginning when we first did it. We used um, the skill that we developed in in uh, mechanical drawing. Did you ever have mechanical drawing in high school?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: No, 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 nobody. Uh, you had it. So, so no, <laughs> mechanical drawing is like when you you, you take a, a compass and you and you just draw over an image that you're trying to make uh, some kind of uh, reality out of. Oh, so what yeah, we what we, we, my, did yeah, 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 we did was we my. we used, uh, we used this. Uh, uh, all of the tools in, in uh, mechanical drawing to expand based on the uh, focal length of the lens of the security camera mm-hmm. and the information that we could gather that we knew. So, for example, you know the distance of that, that counter right there, right? If you have somebody standing next to that counter, you know that that counter is, what, four feet high. Well, if I can associate that counter with, say, a man standing there next to the counter... I can tell you that he's six foot two, or he's whatever he is. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. But, but you just do slow down, slow down, Dan. But you have to do that with. I don't you know. know where the
0: skills is coming from, but I'm watching you. <laughs> I'm watching you, man. So you could just tell. You can just look at somebody and tell them how tall they are. No, you look at a
3: picture because that's all you got, mm. and tell them how tall they were.
0: And and, and you were accurate. You say within a, within an
3: inch usually. Really?
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: So then you 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 wow. Mm. just with pictures and videos and, and bank robbers. Now, <laughs> they don't do that using
3: mechanical drawing
0: anymore. They do it all by computer now. Yeah, computerized. Yeah, yeah because of they're course.
3: doing the same thing, but you, you know, a computer can develop a model
2: of course. And, and do it right away. But before that, they had people like They Dan. had
3: people like me doing stupid stuff. Do you, you still got it? I don't do it anymore. I, don't, I haven't done that in years. <laughs> do you think you see do you, think, do you, think you, you do wrote a, I wrote an article for the, um, I don't know what it was, the law enforcement bulletin. About it years ago that myself and, a, and another guy uh, authored and and put it in that, you mm. know, and I got a I'll never forget I got a call from some guy in, in uh, Australia who <laughs> was reading the article and
0: asking me about it and I'm like dude, where? <laughs> but what G many was asking do you th- he asked do you think you still have the skills to do it that's what he said do you think you I, got-
3: do I. I just don't remember how, what the process was. I mean, I know what the basics are. <laughs> I understand, for example, that I have to know the, the focal length of the lens of a camera, yeah. and I have to be able to find the vanishing points of an image. Hmm. So think about a picture that you might have of anybody uh, in a, in a, standing in a uh, commercial location where you know, you've got tables and chairs and all that kind of thing. You need to be able to determine at one point where the lines that are in the picture begin to vanish mm. so if if a line on a photograph this is the top of, of, of a counter this is the bottom of a counter if you take those lines and follow it in the natural uh, direction where the image gets lost
2: you uh. get to the
3: vanishing point and then you that's kind of where the process starts that makes sense to you. It does. does. It's it's, it's a skill that I. I, I, It's not really a skill. It's 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 a it's a it's a process. It's a mechanical process that you can do with the you know the right kind of uh, uh, knowledge drawing. Well, the right kind of drawing skills. That's all. So I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's you just got to draw straight lines, is what it comes down to, and (laughs) that's all about having you know nice rulers.
0: What 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 was next after? First of all, while you was working in the lab, did it, did you have a firearm? Did they give you a firearm? No, I was just a a, a support me, I, I, I don't know support that. person. I want to know these things. I don't know. The now I worked things.
3: on, and when I was in the lab, I worked on the Zabruder film for the Kennedy assassination. I worked on the uh, oh. uh, Abraham Lincoln's diary to determine if there was uh, uh, secret writing in the diary. I worked on the Patty Hearst kidnapping. I worked on. Uh, Falcon and the Snowman. It was a big movie and a and a novel written about that case. But I was just a you know, I was just a a, wow. a, a technician on it. A technician. So on when law.
0: you work on these things, and you find something, did you find anything out that that could crack the you know, I what I found out was I <laughs> I laughed at like
3: uh, I think it was JFK it was a movie done by, uh, what's who's that guy who's that director's name, kind of controversial director. I, Oliver Stone? Oliver Stone. Stone did a thing on... on, Thank you. (laughs) See, he's kind of like... He's much older than you guys. Sorry, I didn't mean that. (laughs) But uh, uh, he put... In the movie, he put these images from the Zabruder film he was claiming. Mm. And I'm like looking at him and I never saw that. (laughs) That wasn't in the Zabruder film that I saw. What is the Zabruder film? The Zabruder film was... There was a guy named, uh, I don't know, Eric Zabruder or something... Who was who had his eight millimeter camera out there on Dealey Plaza when John Kennedy was killed and he's vi- or not videoing but he's uh, using his eight millimeter uh, analog camera to s- film the president as he's driving by well he he gets an image of John Kennedy being killed hmm. the explosion of the head the shootings and everything that happened so the primary piece of evidence in J- John Kennedy's assassination is the Zabruder film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were, you know, noises made, overheard by, uh, uh, you know, police radios and all that kind of stuff, But, and there were some still images of the whole situation, and there was a whole ton of work that was done on the case back when it was originally investigated right after mm-hmm. the killing, but then the whole case got re- reinvestigated in the 70s under a presidential commission on assassination. And when they did that, the guy who had done the original examination on it, uh, a, uh, an agent, an uh, examiner named L- uh, Lindell Shaney felt mm-hmm. said, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to actually participate, so y'all do it your way. And he turned over all of his notes and his, all of his information to me and, and the other guy I was working with, and we had to go through you know, frame by frame with the Bruder film and find out what it, what it showed. Because wow. there were all sorts of dis- there were all sorts of things that were being said. Um, one of the images from the Zabruder film showed what looked like somebody with a rifle and a pith helmet. Yes, in the, in in sort of the bushes. Well, if you know anything about eight millimeter film, it's like from one frame to the next frame is like a minuscule amount of time. Like you know, you know, cut a second into you know. Ten, you know, ten pieces or whatever, Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what's going on frame to frame. Mm -hmm. So that pith helmet turned into like a leaf (laughs) in in the very next frame. So you're like, I see, I see. So all it was was how the light was hitting. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't; it just happened to look like that.
0: Did back in the days? I mean, (laughs) back then, did they find out? When did they find out who killed? assassinated... Uh, well, I,
3: you know, I have my own theory.
0: You're not get
3: at that. No, I mean... I, and, and it's supported by uh, a guy who died down in Miami, but it was... Uh, uh, the head of the mafia in New Orleans was a guy uh, by the name of Carlos Marcella. You ever hear, hear of him? I'm just listening. Carlos was, um, you know, career criminal, mafioso in the state, of, I mean, in the city of New Orleans, he ran the girls and the drugs and all the stuff in New Orleans. But he was like born in North Africa, or something. He was of, you know, he was Italian, but he was born in North Africa, so he was never in the United States legally. He mm-hmm. was, so apparently John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy said, "We got to get rid of Marcella because he's a, you know, scourge down there in, in in Louisiana." And so Bobby Kennedy said, "Well, why don't we just deport his ass?" And the way they deported him, because they couldn't go through normal procedures to deport him, they just apparently rounded him up one day, took him down into South America, and dumped him in the jungle in his street dress, street attire. You're no longer in the United States. You're You're not wanted anymore. So stay here. He's like, where the hell am I? You're in the jungle. Good luck. And they flew off, whoever did it. So Carlos wasn't real happy, as you can imagine, with the Kennedy family.
2: Mm. So, so
3: you think that— He paid a guy to do it, and then he paid uh, Lee Harvey Oswald to do the assassination.
0: Why do you think it's— uh, now,
3: the, the guy who got Lee Harvey Oswald to do the shooting— You've got to understand, Marla, Marcella, the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald, worked for Carlos— he ran a strip club in, in Dallas, and so that's how the connection between why he got killed, by you know Jack Ruby, why Jack Ruby killed uh,
0: Lee long, Harvey Oswald. How long did it take the government to find out that Lee Harvey Oswald was almost the, immediately, immediately that, they was, found
3: out. that he was the shooter? Yes, yeah, because a, a cop saw him coming out of the uh, uh, the bookstore building. And they went after his ass. I mean, Dallas cops responded right away, so they had him in custody within hours. But he never did,
0: did. He ever talk about what made him do it? No, they never. They
3: never got anything from him. And before they could even ever really, you know, uh, press him on it, Jack Ruby came into the police station and, and shot him, killed him.
0: Why? Hmm. Why didn't know that? Hey, hold on! Somebody was. He was on TV, man. People don't get. Mad I mean, at me. people were watching <laughs> it on TV. People, Jack people, Ruby comes people. in and goes, "Boom!" Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I saw, I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. Yes, 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 yes. And what happened to Jack Ruby? He died of a, I think, of a heart condition in jail in Texas. Never said a word. He never said a word. Mm-mm. So the guy that you said that got dropped up there. The Africa, guy
3: that actually has con- has confessed a lot of this apparently died down in Miami or something. But all the stuff that he said was verified, in, in my opinion, and I think that's what the truth is.
0: And you figured it out by doing your no, own No, I research. didn't figure it out.
3: I mean, somebody else figured it out. But, but, then you, but I listened to all of the details, and I said,
0: that makes sense. Interesting. Let's, uh, let's move forward. So, so, so how long were you in the lab for? <laughs> Six and a half years. Okay. Now tell us the transition from the lab to what you do next.
3: <sighs> well... Um, my wife talked me into trying for agents class. You
0: can't, you can't leave. You can't leave out the. Well, I got married. How did you meet no, that? What's I up, man? Come on, I Dad. Met her,
3: I met her at, 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 a, Don't do that, at a bar in Washington D.C. on Capitol Hill, known as the Hawk and Dove. You guys never heard of it, right? No, no. no. Yeah. Anyway, it was a, it was a good bar. It's a good name. That I, you know, tragically went to too often. <laughs> <laughs> but. uh. No, I met her there, and I guess I met her in seventy.
1: You get it right. She's watching. She you said the wrong year, man. She's gonna. I'm getting in trouble. For trying us. to remember. <laughs> well, I got married
3: five, six, seven, eight. So I'm good on the when we when we got married. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, I think so it was so seventy six. In into seventy six when I met her. Okay. And then he was born in eighty.
0: Oh, thank you. big Dan. that. Yeah. Yeah. so, so how did so, you get your wife you, you
1: you you ran game on her you had a, a certain oh I you... ran game yeah, man I was cool. g g I want to. Cool. what's on? I want to know G-Money was cool
0: with you man I want to
1: know what kind of guy he was back <laughs> no, then like you know did, did your you business bro did, did you go to her you, you bought her a drink did you, g what g you? money you know?
3: <laughs> you know you know I ran game oh <laughs> yo <laughs> 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 g what's <know>. <laughs> up what you doing man what you doing what you doing what you you doing let's go where you
1: asking me that I'm trying to learn some moves man what Teach me a few things, man.
0: I can't be talking about that. That's my son over there. (laughs) Talk about his mama now. (laughs) So, so was it like back in the days? Do you was it like love at first sight? Because you know you hear about those type of things back in the days. We we were tight right away. Yeah. hmm. But um, I like that.
3: I mean, it was. She was the right person for me at the right time, under all the circumstances, and
0: we're still married today. So, it's a blessing. It's yeah. a blessing. Shout, shout to them, man! Of for longevity, yes. <laughs> so, yes. so after the lab, your wife—you see—your wife was to talked to you into doing what? She talked me into
3: trying to get an agent's class, into you know becoming an agent, because I was really kind of like topped out, money-wise and everything there, and I'd never really thought, for a lot of reasons, health reasons, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. that I'd ever become an agent. But I, because I had uh, hypertension back in those days, mm. and come to find out, I got it when I was in Vietnam mm. from Agent Orange. It looks probably, mm. but that's neither here nor there. I, you know, had to fight through it, and and I, you know, at that time I was running like six miles a day, and I was staying in pretty good shape. But you fit, I was I was bad.
2: Mm. <laughs> well, that's well, to
3: well. the bone. Let's go. Cool. And so, uh, took me a while to go through all of the. Uh, machinations in the bureau that I had to go through to get in there but I, I passed the tests and the interviews and Did all you do like the polygraph? That. Didn't have to in those days oh. but I was, I was the very first person in the history of the FBI to be admitted as an agent who, who stated that I'd smoked
0: weed What? What did you just say? Say it again. You was the first. Person. Don't don't listen. Don't let me fact check on you.
1: Don't let him say it again, man. Cause he might. Dan, uh, don't let me fact that's check. That's all you on gonna you. get. So no, dad, <laughs>
0: don't, let, dad, don't let me fact check on you. Dad.
1: If he says it again, you gonna get it. <laughs> no, 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 he uh, uh, to. If he says it again, yes. The it.
0: history, an <laughs> FBI that admitted yeah. to smoking marijuana. Yeah. G, chill, G. It's not. It's not. It's not. The first of history. <laughs> it's not. I, are mine.
1: he cool Damn. man. He's not cool. He's not cool. <laughs> How's that cool? He smoked the ganja, man. What's wrong with you? Man.
0: He smoked the ganja. Hey, gun, get out Hey, hey guys. He's been cool since the beginning. So when you it's said it to them, were they surprised? I heard it, I did a friend it, of mine told me to yeah, photograph now. Yeah, because they
3: made me go through jump through a bunch of hoops about it. I mean, it was like a big <laughs> deal. Really? Yeah, because they knew they they had decided they were going to change policy about it because so many people had basically said, yeah. And but um, they hadn't approved anybody yet, mm. and so they decided I was a good guinea pig to approve because you know <laughs> my bosses liked me and thought I was straight guy and wasn't going to get in any trouble or do anything stupid. So they won't. So when you become an agent now, do you get <laughs> weapons
0: and
2: stuff? Well, know. I had to go. I
3: had to go through the training class down at Quantico. Uh,
0: Quantico is where. In
3: Virginia, south
0: south. Now of is it training like how they do the? It's play? everything. It's it's like, training
3: on physical training. It's training on firearms. It's training on hmm. uh, how to conduct interviews. It's a training on you know what you have to do to, to write FBI you know uh, memorandum and and reports and all that kind of. It's Was training. it hard then? It's it hard? legal training. On, no,
0: it's not hard. No,
3: it's just it's intense and because
0: you're in the a, army though. So that's unfair. You yeah. have a cheat code. I that was a chico, and you were running six miles a day. You uh, had a chico. He, he was ready. Yeah, I was ready. If you had my man, me and my me and my man Big Dan, there, we may, <laughs> we may, we might have had a little trouble. Could have had trouble. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> yes, yes. So, 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 then you become an agent. Yeah. Now, what? Where does it get? What, where does it get spicy at now? <laughs> now, let's mm. get into the. You become an agent.
3: When I when I first became an agent, I was assigned to Washington D.C., and for the most part, I was working criminal stuff. Criminal cases, street crime, uh, burglaries, armed robberies, a uh, little I bit of everything. thought the local the police department takes that? all right. Well, the FBI has got to build cases, and so the way it works is the FBI has certain statutes, uh, mostly involved in interstate commerce. So one of the one of those statutes is interstate transportation of stolen motor vehicles, stealing cars and transporting them across state lines. One of the other statutes is interstate transportation of stolen property. So stealing gold, silver, money, whatever, and transporting it across state lines makes it a federal offense. And theft of government property. So I worked mostly property crimes type cases. And uh, the, one of the things that I became really good at was getting confessions from folks and developing confidential sources. When I was young, when I was brand new. Because I, I talked to people, you know, pretty yeah, well, good, uh, pretty yeah. good yeah. shooting well, Basky,
0: Basky told me that you're a nice guy. Yeah, we yeah. can see. You know, yeah.
3: So the so <laughs> bottom line is that um, all of that street crime that I was doing, you have to work individual cases in order to build up to make a federal case. Mm-hmm. So you'd work a bunch of stolen car cases to, to pull it all together to see if there was a stolen car ring that you could take to federal court. You'd work a bunch of burglary cases to see if there was a fence that you could charge with receiving stolen property and transported interstate commerce. And so that's kind of how I, in quotes, made, you know, made my first group of cases. I was just, you know, at the lowest level. But I always worked with D.C. police and Fairfax County Police and Prince George. So all the local police departments, I worked very well with them because they liked the, the fact that I would like always be being straight with them, always, you know. Uh, helping them out from our side, giving them the resources they needed to help them make their cases. Mm. And I didn't take anything from anybody. I didn't steal cases from people and Mm. stupid stuff that you see about on TV. That's all crap. They don't really steal cases. No. But sometimes FBI agents can be stupid, just like cops can be stupid. Mm. So the point is, is that I had a good reputation with the police departments. I did. I worked stuff like that from nineteen eighty to about eighty seven.
0: My year. Oh yeah. Well, my year. Six. Seven, yes. best year.
3: And that's when homicides started to inch up in DC. And so the guys that I was working with, because it was always about me and the cops. I always had a you know a task force of some sort going. A lot of different cases. A lot of different you know kinds of work that we were doing. But it was all. It always came down to. Um, you know, Riley's over there working with the cops. And the problem was the cops were going were being tasked to do something about the homicides. They weren't nobody was worried about the burglaries anymore. Nobody was worried about the armed robberies and and stuff that we would normally work. But at the same time, the FBI made a change in terms of prop uh, in terms of procedures and protocol. They wanted us to to work racketeering cases against any kind of violent drug gang or drug dealer. And also at the same time, a guy who was a close confidential source of mine, uh, who I'd locked up and, you know, turned him around, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. was just really a great guy. But his, his best friend was murdered. And his best friend was not in the game. And he was murdered by the R Street Crew.
0: The who?
3: R Street Crew.
0: R R, R Street, Street R, R, R Street Crew. But before that, how do you turn people? So you, you know, I you don't turn them. them. <laughs> they turn themselves. Well, you, you make them no, feel good. them? no but in that it. case,
3: in that case, <laughs> that man. <laughs> oh, here we go. That man. I locked there him up for burglary, and I also found out that he was bringing kids over into Virginia and Maryland. And letting them burglarize houses, and he was taking money and fencing it for him and then splitting the profits with him. So he was running a little, you know, little ring. Oh. So I hammered him, and and you know. How did you catch him? Followed him, you know. <laughs> Criminals, for for the most part, are not that hard to catch. Hmm. I mean, they they can be, but most. Anyway, this dude and I hit it off though. We I was like laughing with him all the time and having a good time, and he liked me and I liked him. But And I knew that if if he got prosecuted, he was going to go to jail for maybe a year or two. It wasn't going to be bad. At least I didn't, well, it would have been bad for me. I wouldn't do two years, but I knew he wasn't going to. So I was like, you know, I was constantly on his back about quit doing the shit with the kids, quit bringing them into it. And he was okay with that. He was okay with me. I think it was the first time in his life that any, any adult had ever said to him, don't be stupid, don't do stupid. Because he was really ultimately a nice kid good guy. Scary looking. He was a big, tall guy. And everybody on the street just was like oh. I mean really scared of him. Sound like Debo. But when he uh, <laughs> when his when his buddy got killed it was against the guys that he knew he wasn't going to be able to do anything about.
0: His, his buddy got killed by the R Street crew. Mm-hmm. Why? What? what, what why? He was just
3: a bystander in, in, a, in a garage when, when they went in to kill another dude and they didn't kill the other dude. They shot him mm-hmm. 11 times. He looked, this other dude looked like Mean Joe Green. He was huge. I'm telling you, Mean Joe Green, think about him being shot 11 times mm. and surviving. So, but poor Frankie, he got hit twice and he was done. So, and then your guy came to you and he told you. He said, this is not right. He was pissed off at, at the fact that these guys were getting away with murder.
0: I mean, where would you guys meet That hold on the phone? Like what type of? Everything. Oh, of course, yeah, you can't get too much detail. I got it. Uh, um <laughs> so he tells you did he but did you hear about the R-Street Crew or he put you onto it? He put me onto it. I had I didn't know who they were. No clue. So now what's the R-Street crew? Do you know any details about them as far as like who was who, how did it so? Yeah,
3: yeah. I spent on. like two years working them. I better know. <laughs> I,
0: I'm just saying, like who's who, how did it start, like stuff like they that? They were the
3: Williams family primarily. And uh it was Kevin Fitzgerald Williams Davis was one of the bosses. Um, another guy named uh, Anthony Nugent. Thank God both of them are still in prison because they were they would have a meeting and decide who got killed. They sold drugs, they sold heroin, they sold Coke, they sold PCP-laced weed. Mm. They sold everything you know that was available mm. to sell. They were vicious. Um. They had uh one one of the Williams brothers was nuts. Man, Daryl's flicking. I you know started to learn interesting lingo. Slang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The whole point is is that 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 they were you know serious bad guys, and they controlled the neighborhood. They killed, they killed a guy, uh, in the neighborhood, in nineteen eighty five
0: in front of 30 witnesses, and nobody said shit. Wow. But why they didn't say anything, you think? They They were scared. The whole neighborhood. They were were scared. And we're
3: talking about middle-class neighborhood. We're not talking about, like, some hard ghetto, you know, bad neighborhood. Mm. We're talking about middle-class folks. You know, one guy lived across the street from the murder, owned a shoe store. I mean, we're talking about people that were just flat scared of these, you know, assholes.
0: So it wasn't a situation where, because usually those situations, um, the bad guys take care of the neighborhood.
3: No, now they no. Well, they they did
0: that. They gave they
3: would give money to little old ladies and stuff like that. But they demanded that tribute back. They demanded that you don't say nothing to, about our business to anybody.
0: Did they have a warehouse? Did they have a, a clubhouse? Did they have anything where they conducted? No, nothing. Nothing. Sp-
3: they had their house. They had the mama's house over <laughs> on 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 uh, uh, what do you call it on.
0: Uh, uh,
3: uh, Rock Creek Church Road, and, uh, right on the other side of uh, uh, the old Soldiers Home in, in Northwest DC.
0: So your informant comes, his man get killed, Frankie. Poor Frankie, he gets killed, and he tell you about the R Street crew. Now, what makes you want to investigate the R Street?
3: Well, crew? it just it was kind of like a um, a coalition of things that happened, because at the same time, the cops that I'm working with are saying we got to work, we got to do something on homicides. We can't be working stolen property anymore, mm. and I'm like. I'm okay with that. Well, you know, I'll try to figure out some way to get into it. And then at the same time, the FBI came out with a new policy that said, we're going to, uh, you're going to let y'all work that kind of case. So I'm thinking at the time that it's going to be a, primarily a one hit wonder, maybe a couple of piece, you know, crimes of violence. Uh, we'll charge them with that and we'll bring it into district court because we know they're drug dealers and we'll just, we'll, we'll marry it up with a drug drug case and I thought it was going to be a very quick hit turnaround. But what we found when we got into it was these guys were getting dope from the Columbian cartel, from the Cali. And, you know, we also found that they were getting, you know, uh, heroin from some source up in, another source up in New York and they were getting, some additional crack from the boys out west, uh, the 8-Trade Gangster Crips, and they were getting PCP manufactured by a crip out in L.A. And so we're like, we got to do more than just, you know, one quick hit. we got to do a real racketeering case on this. In other words, so at the same time, uh, the RICO statutes are being used in New York going after the mobsters. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this case like, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do this. Mm. And we got to, we're going to have to do it, you know, the old-fashioned way. We're going to have to do everything. We're going to have to, you know, go after search warrants. We're going to have to, you know, hit their houses. We're going to have to, and we're going to have to figure out a way to scare the hell out of them because they're going to kill all the witnesses. Because we ended up needing insiders to talk and tell the truth about what was going on, and we found them because they were people that were scared. They were, you know, they knew that if they said anything to us, they would get killed.
0: How many people did they kill?
3: My best count on the r street crew was probably twenty, but we only were able to charge them with like three hmm. so we could only get enough proof on three of
0: them so walk us through the process of of taking down the R Street crew
3: well we 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 started with surveillance and with undercover bias, and the undercover bias were fairly straightforward we we had either uh uh police officers or we'd have undercover uh confidential sources that would actually go and buy drugs from the guys that we knew who were being supplied by them. We would then hit those guys' houses with search warrants. If we'd found a lot of drugs on their house, which we almost every time did, we'd put the heat on them. They'd be facing 20 years in prison if they had, you know, several ounces of crack. So we were like, what do you want to do? You want to do 20 years? And almost all of them said no. I'll tell you everything. Hmm. wasn't it? It that part of it was not all that hard. I mean, drug cases are not that hard to make. Uh, what became hard was the fear. That level of fear that we were constantly being beat up against, and then on top of that, right in the middle of it, we found the mule for the Cali cartel, and he came to us because they, the crew, had tried to kill him. Now, meanwhile, he's the guy that's responsible for the drugs coming from the Cali cartel. And they're going to kill him because they were pissed off because he wouldn't give them a discount on their Coke, which he didn't have control of. He was just, you know, he was acting as a middleman for the Cali folk to to, to D.C. And, you know, the R Street crew said, well, you got to give it to us at a discount. And he's like, oh, man, I can't discount anything. i do what they tell me to do.
0: So how did they try to kill him? <laughs> they shot at him.
3: And so he came to us. <laughs> Right after that happened, and said, you are gonna help me?" And uh, so we said, "Okay," but you got to do this, this, and this. And he got all nervous and pissed off and said, nah, "I don't want to do it." Well, then the the agent, the drug agent, who had talked to him originally she she was very uh, uh, very deeply involved in understanding what he did do- because she had done all the interviews with him. And she says, well, the hell with it. We'll just search his house. <laughs> and, and so we did. She got a search warrant on his house, scared the living shit out of him. And from that point on, he was fine. Because we found evidence of exactly what he was telling us. Mm. So she could verify and prove everything that he had told us. And so that put him in the middle of a conspiracy case. Did the other ever, ever try to threaten you
1: or, you know, you being in a position? Those dudes, you no. Mm.
2: no. So They didn't it,
0: like me. Right. You know? Uh, but no, nah. no, not that. No. Were they killing witnesses as well?
3: Oh my God. Yeah. But you, you got to understand something about killing witnesses. And you know, I, the thing that if you want to know what worries me about what you guys have been going over, is y'all are talking about, you know, uh, uh, informants, like they're like people being taken advantage of. The, the truth is, and the reality is, is when bad guys shoot people and kill people, they don't know if they're informant. They're guessing. They don't need probable cause to kill an informant, and that's what I'll, I'll talk to you more about that later on. But the bottom line is, is these guys were killing people thinking they were snitching, and they weren't. Mm. So they were just killing, dropping bodies, and like because they thought that they were, you know, hinky. I mean, you're talking about a mindset at that level when they're making all sorts of money. I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Davis was wearing $6,000 shoes, alligator shoes, and, and, and you know, fancy silk suits and stuff like I mean, stuff that I... And everybody on, in the whole group was driving, you know, like fancy BMWs and stuff like that. And I'm like, look, you're doing better than me money-wise, but this is crazy because y'all are making money off of all these people that you're just crushing, scaring the hell out of, and
0: if you don't like them, you shoot them. So... Did you guys have to kill anybody in their crew? No. Bring us to, I want to know, like, I want you to bring us to the takedown. Going into the takedown, how did well, we Well, the there
3: ground? was several takedowns. And uh, the reason was is because we we got to a point where we ran an undercover operation where they were going to uh, meet the so-called uh, contact, the Cali cartel contact from New York. turns see. out. Uh we turned her in we turned that contact into a a beautiful FBI agent that wow was you know and that so we we were supposed to get both kevin and and Anthony Nugent to that meeting, but it turns out that Kevin got hinky because he was getting inside information from somebody inside law enforcement okay so Nugent shows up and we take his ass down. then we locked up a bunch of guys. And Kevin left town and, you know, scooted. So we had to find him. I'm trying to remember how this all worked. Yeah. We had to find him, and he turned up out in California. We got a, a call from an informant out there that told us where he was, and we went out there and snatched his ass up. And we So we had both the two main – the two bosses of the crew in custody. Hmm. But then we had to do – uh, our grand jury on it so it took us I don't know several months to put everything in the grand jury because it was a racketeering case it was not your standard you know two-bit drug case it was so and then we had three or four crimes of violence I had to figure out ways to talk victims crime victims who had been shot and left DC had to find ways to talk them into coming back to DC to testify for us hmm. that wasn't easy um, and I'll get into that. A- you know, a little bit. Let's let's get right down to the bottom line. 45-year-old mother, registered nurse living in D.C. Her, her oldest son was murdered by them, and her second oldest son was shot and seriously wounded, and she sent him down to South Carolina to hide out. And he had been hiding out since 85. This was 1990. She was watching my case throughout the whole time. And she was doing it through one of my people that was cooperating with me at the time. And so finally, when I'm getting ready to go into this grand jury phase at the end of the uh, arrest of the two main guys, she says, or the, the source comes to me and says, Bertha wants to talk to you. <laughs> so I met her. It was like secret squirrel shit. And uh, I mean, she's giving up her two sons. You know, one, of course, was already dead. But, you know, we're talking bravery. We're not talking about, you know, she's a rat and a snitch. And all. That's crap. She said, I'm putting, I'm putting my son in your hands. And if you do anything wrong, I will deal with you. Mm-hmm. Has, you has your mama ever done that to you? Of course. How
0: does it feel? <laughs> not good. But she's a civilian, so she would not be considered as a snitch. No, she wasn't part of the operation. yeah, but they did every
3: they considered everybody a part of it, really. Oh my God, man you don't have to you, you know you, you just don't know what it's like until you get into it. it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't make up the rules. I wish I did. you know when I, when I first heard the term snitch referring to a you know one of my witnesses that was testifying in court, I was like, what are you talking about?" It's not a snitch. That's a witness. Well, yeah, but they're talking. Oh, yeah, they stole a car, and they're giving up the guy that they delivered the stolen car to. And they're saying that I delivered the stolen car to that guy. And they're doing it in open court while the guy is standing there. That's not a snitch. But, of course, the street rules are doesn't matter. Street rules are you never give up. You never talk to the police. Street <laughs> rules are you do this, that, and the other thing, and you're a snitch, and you're a piece of crap. You guys like football, right?
0: No. You, I don't watch football until you Do know. you watch football?
3: <laughs> no. You don't? You watch football. Basketball. Anybody here watch football? Neither. What hap- What happens when somebody jumps off sides in football? What does the other team do?
2: <sighs>
3: Aren't they snitches? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was slick.
1: That was slick how you did that.
3: <laughs> Dude, why, why are they snitches? And somebody that's, whose child has been murdered, you know, I don't get it. So... That's what makes me upset when I hear the term snitch and rat and all that crap because it doesn't if, – if you're, if you're forced into it, if your life choices are wrong here and there and you make some bad decisions and you do some stupid stuff and you get into the middle of something but you're not a killer and you're not a, a vicious human being and the only way you can get out of it is to you know tell the police the truth. That's the key if you tell them the truth if you don't tell me the truth I can't hear it I can't help you.
0: Mr. Dan hold on you know, <laughs> how, we, how sometimes in the neighborhoods of how we grow up you know we, we have certain what is taught to us is about certain codes. you know we emulate or we, we look up to uh, people in our neighborhoods that are in the street that get money the fancy cars and stuff like that and we're always taught. Like, you don't snitch and tell, but... Let me tell you something. Okay. Let me tell you something about that. Tell me. 1970, guess what was the
3: most successful homicide department in the world? What? Washington, D.C.'s homicide detective department. You know why? Because if somebody did something like kill a person in a neighborhood in D.C. in the 60s and 70s, damn right the police knew about it. Understood. Because the neighborhood called, everybody in the neighborhood called and said they... That was who did that, because they didn't want murderers in their neighborhood.
0: But allow me to. But, but, but ju- okay. and, and okay.
3: I, I ran into the same thing, in neighborhoods in in Annapolis, uh, Maryland, and in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. because the only way we can work together as a society, is if we care about each other, is if we give a damn about each other, and you shooting and killing him is something that I shouldn't put up with if I'm y'all's neighbor. Honestly. That's so snitching is not snitching. Doing the right thing is what I'm talking about here. But what I'm trying to what tell you- trying
1: to say, too, yeah, this is the country of like certain codes as far as like people who are part of certain gangs or gang members or people who are street guys or you know, drug guys. I don't think they, snitching- they, they, they live by a certain code, mm-hmm. so they feel like civilians, like you know, myself, if I'm just living in the neighborhood, I see something's going on, I should be able to, I mean, not. They won't like it, but
3: if I do it, I'm not breaking the cold. That's yeah, but, the they, that's, per, yeah, but se, that, per se, that's, but that's not how it works. In yeah, but a, what in I'm saying is, I don't. Think in the real world, mm-hmm. they would right. like to believe that's how it works. That if you're in the game, you will keep Omerta. You will keep you will keep your mouth shut. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works in the real world. How it works in the real world is anybody that does anything to harm me because I'm a vicious asshole, is a snitch, a rat, and they need to be dealt with. That's how it works in the real world. And if you two guys believe what you're saying, okay, I got no argument. But and and that y'all had that y'all grew up with that. But that's a new phenomenon in the most part the African American communities in this country,
2: mm-hmm.
3: like a lot of other like the Italian communities and the Irish communities and all they take care of their own. They don't allow stuff like that to happen. They don't allow that kind of violence to happen in their communities. And they make sure that whoever did that kind of dirt gets dealt with. They
0: police their own communities. It, what I, but hmm. but that's it has to start somewhere. But listen, what do you,
3: I, think, you think? You'd think know, 70-year-old Aunt May is going to go out and lock somebody up who just shot somebody? She's going to have to call
1: right.
0: the local cops, and she hopefully has a friend that calls them up and says, get over here and lock that boy up. But, what, but let me say something to you. What I'm trying to tell you is that in the neighborhoods, they don't consider these days civilians if an old lady sees a crime right. and she tells they don't consider her a snitch right yeah. they don't consider her a rat but listen listen they don't i'm just telling you they don't consider someone who's a I, civilian no, uh, I, but you. if you in a if, if me and him does a crime together right if we do a crime together rob a bank together and he tells them me i would consider be he, because he's a part of the game that right. i was a part of and in the game to a lot of people that's in the game That's saying if it's right or because to you, you're on the other side, so you would never see it as right. And that's respectable and understandable. But in a game, like the Italians have certain rules. They'll consider you a rat because you were part of that thing with me, and you decided to flip and tell. So that's Mm. what, I don't think a civilian is considered a snitch. Mm. Uh, You see, that's the problem.
3: You say that, and I'm telling you that's not how it works. Understood, understood. That's what I'm saying. If it worked like that, I might be okay with it. I wouldn't be happy but i might be okay with it mm. but it doesn't work like that in other words bertha for just her talking to me would have pissed them off and they would have, they would have gone for her.
0: an innocent woman they would have killed her
3: yeah not only innocent but straight up nice mean to me but that's neither here nor there <laughs> got you got you
0: no i understand so 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 she gave you her son, she she spoke to you, and then you had to figure out how to keep her son safe. Yeah. And did you figure it Absolutely. out? Absolutely. But did you send him?
3: Hmm? Huh? Oh, I no, I just, I, I flew yeah. him in when he needed to testify. I covered his butt the whole time he was here, and I flew him back down where he needed to be and took care of
0: him afterwards. How many people from the R Street Cool situation did you, that you had to help put away? I mean... Like, that I had to protect? Protect, yes. 60. 60. Now, how do we go about that? Do we... How does the FBI go about protecting?
3: You know, with me, the way it was working was because, as I mentioned to you earlier. Earlier, yes, you did. The, uh, the, the, the one mom of uh, a bunch of the guys, mm-hmm. she was with the Marshalls program. So I couldn't use the Marshalls program. I had to take care of it all on, you know, out of our funds. And so I was going to have to take, I would sit down with, you know, some lady and her children, two or three children, who used to run a, a stash house for these guys. And got locked up for it and did some time for running a stash house. And I said to her, I need you to talk. And she says, How can I talk? They'll kill me. And I said, Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Can I I can protect you? She says, How are you gonna I said I'll move you anywhere you want
2: to go.
0: So you give them a choice of the where they want yeah. to move. That's what I did. Do so you give them money? And too. I
3: said, and well, the, no, it's more than that. Okay. Because I said, All right, well let's talk about where you're gonna stay because you you know If you tell me Honolulu, Hawaii, you know, I'd like to go to Honolulu, Hawaii, too. But tell me me what connection you got to this place I'm going to send you to that we can make sure you're going to be okay. Because what I knew in this case Mm -hmm. was that as long as I got them, you know, pretty much out of sight, out of mind, they were going to be a hell of a lot safer. As long as they were sitting in D.C., knowing that I'm putting pressure on the crew that the crew was thinking, I got, we got to we got to clean up our mess. They would go around and kill people. Mm. That's what they would do. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to get you out of here right now, and I want to move. So, and like in this lady I'm thinking of's case, I, she had uh, people down in Florida, moved her to Florida, in the panhandle, like, you know, right around Panama City. Point is, is that she's okay there. She hasn't, she's never returned.
0: She's never gotten into trouble again. How long did it take to? How long did it take to take down the R Street crew? Because you already- well. See,
3: this is th- that, Yeah, I hadn't yeah. finished yet. Sorry. So after we got uh, the two main guys, mm-hmm. then we went to the grand jury and got all the indictments that we needed to get. But then the local uh, TV station decided that they needed to run a story on the R Street crew, and that they knew somehow that we were going to lock them all up. Well, then I had a list of like 20 guys, tw- no, actually 30 guys that I had to lock up. And I said, if they're going to do that, if they're going to run the name of all the people that, that, you know, we're going to arrest, I'm going to have to get them before they hit the four winds. So between the time that we heard that the newspaper article or the news article was going to hit until the next morning, I was working. And I got search warrants from the judge and arrest warrants at like 11 o'clock at night. And all night long, we were locking people up and we got everybody but one. And we locked up like 30 guys. Yeah, everybody but one. Where did the one go? He he heard about it. He got got the news report and he split. We caught him eventually. Oh, you caught him eventually? Yeah, yeah. But but that's what I was worried about. We were going to lose everybody because they would all gone for the hills. So when we locked them all up.
0: How many deals did you make?
3: Everybody, except we we, we ended up with 12 guys that we had to go to trial on, including the two top guys. So we had two 6-month long trials. Each trial was 6 months long. And we had 100 over 100 witnesses
0: in each one of the trials. So mm-hmm. the, the big guys didn't want to talk. No. Hmm. They didn't talk at all. No. Okay, but the other And guys. the guys
3: that we cut deals with didn't didn't talk either. We gave them we gave them the at normal run of the mill deal. They had to do 5 6 years whatever it was. You know, we we charged them with a with a serious felony. But they weren't like big, they weren't big, big players in the in the group. So we were like, look, we don't need your help. And we really don't want your help because you're a piece of garbage. But you can take five years or you can take a chance on life without parole because that's what they were facing.
0: Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest real quick because <laughs> speaking of Baskey, he was expressing to me that you have an issue with, and I want you to be honest, i let you speak freely with I guess things being... Have I not been speaking freely enough Of course, but I'm saying without (laughs) interruption. I didn't really interrupt, but I'm known for that. But what don't you not like as far as, you know, when you hear about interviews and stuff, do you not like the bad guys being praised and, and, and showing certain parts and not really condemning them for the murders that they committed? Well, it's not only murders, man. It's like what they did for a living. You guys
3: are sitting here working. I don't, I don't know what your backgrounds are, okay? I don't know if you've got any criminal history or whatever. But you guys are sitting here working, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing your job. Thank and you. you're uh, you know, capable of doing it. These guys woke up in the morning and figured out ways to buy kilos of crack cocaine so that they could fire their crack into hundreds of people's bodies Understood. every day. How many families do you think they destroyed? A lot. And that's okay? No. And they made money off of it. And oh, by the way, they made choices that you and your wildest dreams might never make. Because they did harm to people in a number of different ways and turned a city into an armed camp where they scared the hell out of people. There's a, there's a neighborhood across the river from here, that, that direction called Berry Farms. It was a, uh, you know you know what I'm talking about?
2: Mm.
3: Berry Farms is like 10 square blocks. Okay? If you sit in your living room in Berry Farms, if you're a, a 10-year-old kid, you know how many people have been killed within a football field of your home? Guess. I can't. 30. Thirty of your neighbors have been murdered in your neighborhood, and you're a ten-year-old kid. How does that make you feel? Doesn't make me feel good. Does was your neighborhood like that? No. Was your neighborhood like that? Mm-hmm. My neighborhood wasn't like that. To me, that's unbelievable. Why did it happen? Because of people like you know some of the guys you're talking about.
0: So what is your actual issue, though? That you think that's
3: the <laughs> issue. In other words, if I can't impress upon everybody mm-hmm. that this kind of criminal activity is beyond the pale man it's it's not even it's not even remotely morally you know appropriate it's nothing it's nothing to do i mean god help me you really good <laughs> i'm sorry I, this is what i do i ha- i got called the white devil by kevin fitzgerald williams davis i got called the roman government by wayne parrott like I, i'm the problem like, I'm the issue. Wow. Okay? That's some bullshit in the first place. Understood. Okay? But on top of that, they think it's okay that they could feed uh, crack to a bunch of women who turn into crack whores in this city. They think it's okay for children to grow up in this city and, and fear for their lives because they don't know if somebody next door is getting to get murdered. And that's... Who started the problem? I didn't start the problem. I didn't bring crack to the United States.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Nobody in my at my work did. I got accused of that. We heard that's bullshit. But that's okay. You you know what my history is. All I'm saying is is that we get to a point at some at some level where we have to be outraged at folks like this. Wayne Perry is in jail for six lifetimes. Six. Each one of those lifetimes represents a person he murdered or had had murdered. Two of the people he had murdered he said he killed because they were snitches, and they weren't. They were just foolish young women who got in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Do you know— Do you understand why I'm just like— I do, but let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Do do you also understand— Dan and I and I and I feel that you're on the positive side of you, and you like heal the world, but you know society doesn't work like that. Do you know? No, I don't want you to be out. Oh, no, we're having no. a conversation, right. and I'm not saying. I don't want you to take it like I'm agreeing with anything. Please don't take it like that, because I right. see you, you get a little red, un, un, <laughs> you're matching your shirt. Let's 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 let's. I'm just saying. I want you to understand because you deal with people. You've been dealing with this for That society don't work like that. How can we change it? Instead of looking within and and I get the glorifying the guys because that's what it. Look, makes it seem like we're glorifying the bad guys. Yes. Yes. Let me let me
3: let me let, let me let you understand something. When I was a kid, my father used to tell us stories about Al Capone in Chicago. Same thing. Okay. Oh, I understand where it comes from. It's just that the only time that that was even remotely interesting to me was when I was a kid. When we get old enough, we got to start saying, "You're exactly right." We got to start saying. This is not what we want in our society. I agree. I don't think we have to figure out a better way. I agree. And one way that's that's that we can be certain is a better way is that we don't kill each other. Number two is let's not sell
0: drugs to each other, poison our community.
3: Yeah, because that's all it does, and it turns because the money, and the greed, and the abject hatred of human beings. Is what it turns into. It look, I'm gonna tell you something. I talked for maybe two hours in my life to Alpo, and I like the guy. I think he's a great guy. He's a nice kid. All right? I'm serious.
0: I'm telling you. He's
3: me- impressive. <laughs> I I had a great conversations
0: with Wayne Perry.
3: But there is something wrong with those dudes.
0: Okay, let me say something. Don't people gonna get mad at me.
3: <laughs> um I, was,
0: <laughs> I, I just told him the same thing that i, I spoke to alpo and and I like the guy based off of the mannerisms exactly based off that's what you he's you did, an that, incredibly engaging human being and and that's what and i i, I called a guy named King Erner' a friend of mine and he has been attacking alpo King Erna attack i'm just King Erna attacks alpo because he he said alpo He calls him a rat, but he said he also didn't come out and say that what I did was wrong. This is King Erna, he told me his problem is. King Erna said, my problem with Alpo is that he didn't come out and say to this youth that what I I did back in the days is wrong. That's King Erna issue. And then they had a back and forth. But I told Alpo, myself, I like King Erna. But I also told King Erna, I like Alpo, and it's going to sound crazy. Flip, why you like that? And people going to get mad at me, but... It's not what he did or saying that what he did, because I, I, I get at him about what he did. I mm-hmm. ask those questions because it's in my mind. Like, why did you do it? Did you? And there's two things that Alpo said. Well, when
3: me. you say what he did, are you saying because why did he become a snitch? No,
0: no, okay. no, You're just no, saying no, why, did no. you, why did you why do Why did the you violence? do what you did? Yeah, well, well, I asked him why? that. And, then, and I said, ask him, do you have any remorse? And he said I had, this is what Alpo told me out of his own mouth, and he said it today. I had 20, before you got in, I was on the phone with him. I had 24 years to deal with remorse in my cell. Mm-hmm. When I come out now, I'm I, I already deal with the you tears. Gotta move on. He got it. That's how he look at it. He said I'm still a man at the end of the day. But the point of the, the matter is, I don't want people to think because I had conversations that I agree with anything that he did. It's just I, the hold on. It's mm-hmm. just that the conversation. He's an engaging guy. He he cracks a joke. He's mm-hmm. funny. And to me, he's he's a, he's a cocky guy. I can't believe this guy is so cocky like that. That's <laughs> I think it's funny. Like why are you like this? Yeah. I asked him about certain things. I did. I did ask him myself, like, yo, bro, why did you do that? I asked him about Demencio. I asked him a lot of personal questions, and he answered me truthfully of why he did what he did and how he looked. Do I agree with it? No. I told him myself. I don't mm-hmm. agree with that. I think you could have handled it differently, but I guess that's how hey, he thought it was.
3: This, this, is, what, this, is, the, this is the point uh, of the exercise in terms of, you know, snitches that snitch against other guys in the game, mm-hmm. Okay. When I look at him, I'm like, okay, we put him in jail. In fact, you know, my partner Angelo was the one that put hands on him. We put him in jail, and we charged him with a crime down in northern, down in Virginia, in Fredericksburg, dealing crack down in there. Why? Because he told Angelo that he was doing that when he was, when he thought he was dying in the hospital after he got shot when he first got to D.C. Because he said to Angelo, I'm, "I'm dealing drugs down there. because you'd have to see Angelo. Angelo is like this unbelievable detective cop who anybody will talk to. And they after five minutes and they think they're talking to their mama or something. And he'll you know, they just confess to him because he's that way. So he gets a whole string of you know information from him. Then another agent that I know goes out and follows up on everything Angelo found out, and sure enough, it's all true. So they build a case in Virginia on him. Because meanwhile, every time Pose got stopped in New York. He, he runs and gets away. He like breaks from three different times where the cops had him hemmed in and he got away. So he was like, you know, Mr. Magic or something like that. <laughs> and then and then I guess the dude, y'all know more about this guy. This dude, Preacher, came down.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Because I want to go- talk to you. I, th- I heard your, I heard
2: your I, audio. I don't
3: know Preacher, but I know of him from that whole time period. Right. And it's like, so he's hiding out. In, in the DC area and 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 he's hang he's hanging out with and becoming a vampire with Wayne. That's what he was doing. So he, he and Wayne are being vampires together and they're not coming out until midnight. But that that's just part so he knows that people from New York are looking for him. He knows that people from uh uh like preacher is has, has killed somebody that he's getting blamed for or something like that. I don't you know I don't know all the details and all the ins and outs of it. But he knows there's a lot of action going on, and, and so when we lock him up and we put him in custody and say, okay, here's your here's your chance, here, here's your possibilities. You can go to New York and deal with the kidnapped murder charge you got up there. And he knows immediately, as soon as he gets to New York, he's dead. Whether he goes into the, the federal uh, jail mm. or he goes into Rikers Island, he's dead because they're both covered by whoever's mad at him in New York mm. who's already put out a contract on his ass. At least that's what that's what we found out from various— do, But it, do, you, do you— But Hang on just okay, a second. Okay. He knows that Wayne doesn't trust him, so if he goes to D.C. jail, Wayne's going to kill him and get him killed in D.C., which Wayne could get done by not even a phone call, just by yelling over the wall, I think he could get it done. <clears throat> and everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Or he can take—I'll go down to Virginia and plead guilty down in Virginia. Okay. So when he gets down to Virginia and he pleads guilty, guess what happens again? He realizes, I'm going to plead guilty and they're going to send me to the Fed. Guess what's going to happen to him when he gets to the Fed? He's dead. Now,
0: what option did he have? let me ask you, let Were me, you just, just seriously what I, what option does he have I, no, please don't ask me no questions like that listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen I, I can't answer that options listen, are, listen, are real slim <laughs> let me ask you a question I, I have to correct you on certain things okay. because I listened to your interview All right. that you did um, and when you said that Alpo you know Alpo did have it Done to Rich Porter, but he had nothing to do with the little brother, right. preacher. That's what I heard. Yes, of. preacher was separate. Preacher and the little brother was separate, but he didn't, because Alpo didn't have anything to do. with... I, I
3: told you, I didn't know the details. Yes, you, did, of that. you did. say that. But I did. I. I but what my recollection was, mm-hmm. they were pissed off at him about the little brother. So they really wouldn't mattered. because they, they, to they all together. believed. Yeah, they it. all believed in New York that he had killed the little brother,
0: right? But but but, but let me actually let me ask you this honest question. And it's two things I want to say. Alpo said to me on the phone. You know, if we go back. tell me if this makes sense to you. <laughs> he said to me that we praise Rich Porter. Which is, I like Rich Porter. I think his story is, is, is dope and he's fly. I like fly stuff. look look at I'm jiggy. but <laughs> what's the matter with me? Good, the, <laughs> but he, he said that we, he said that why, does, why do the people no. do not praise or throw a party? This is what he said. this is his words for the brother uh, Darnell. The twelve-year-old brother that got killed, his finger shut off. Do you kind of agree with Albo when he says something like that? He said, "We praise that martyr. We make a martyr of Rich Porter, but we don't even acknowledge his little brother. His little brother who was twelve years old and got his life taken at a short. What?
3: Here's my here's my feeling on it. See, that's where the moral outrage comes from from me because because we don't do stuff like that. We if we like rich porter if we think he's a good dude and 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 we want to carry his memory with us god bless us for doing that but you can't just stop there you have to you have to take it to your whole community and say hey listen man we've lost two important people I, you know i don't know rich porter if, was he a drug dealer was he you know uh in the same business i'm not going to praise him but if people in the in knowledgeable of him thought he was a worthy person and a nice person, God bless him. You know, God's mercy extends everywhere. Yes. All right? And Mm -hmm. so we have to – I'm not going to ever suggest that, you know, being good for for Rich Porter and his brother, that should be equal. But what what just drives me crazy is that when we put anybody of these guys up on a pedestal, we got to do that with a little bit of a, you know – moral understanding of what we're saying there. Understood. That we're saying that, you know, people like Wayne Perry and Alpo are worth praising and worth considering as when they just about ruined both their neighborhoods, their communities, just about ruined them.
0: Real quick, because, you, you, you know, you, you start to get red again. Um, <laughs> Alpo, do you know why Alpo got shot in D.C.? Do you know about that? Yeah. Can you tell us why you got shot? What you found out?
3: Because D.C. is that way. What happened mm-hmm. was um, Cliff Cobb ran most of northeast, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Jim Jim and Jawbreaker mm-hmm. were the two hitters for Cliff's little crew over there in in I'm trying to remember. It's 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 the uh, what the hell neighborhood is it? It's really off a of Catholic university. It's kind of like, you know. Anyway, uh, it's totally irrelevant to you. But uh, all they knew was some dude from New York was coming down and, and acting big. They they didn't care who it was. They they don't know Alpo from Beans. Now, if you talk to them right now, they'd probably tell you all about how they had done background on him or something like that, you know. But they've never been brought to to task for it. But they shot him. And... At the same time, we were shooting dudes from LA. We were—I sh- mean, when I say we, I mean my community, DC, was shooting—you know, Jamaicans. We were shooting anybody that came into town and tried to, try to uh, run a run an operation. Um, did you ever hear of a guy named uh, uh, L.A. Roy Summers? No, eight trade gangster Crip, one of those—you know big deal drug dealers from out West who tried to bring mo do you know who I'm talking about? He used to bring a lot of uh, drugs into the East coast and he sold all around DC, Maryland, Virginia would not never go into DC. Said, excuse my French. Those niggas in DC are crazy. Mm. And so he says, I don't deal with them. I ain't going to deal with it. And he testified because he was part of the whole, you know, California scam with the R street crew. Mm-hmm. The point is, is that, um, He's, you know, he was telling it like it was. He says they would do a deal with you, New, or New York or D.C. guys would do a deal with you, expect a discount the next time around. If they didn't get the discount, they'd kill you the third time around. That was that was the rep that was going on outside of New, or D.C. And so anybody that came to D.C. and wanted to operate and, you know, whatever drove Alpo down here, whether it was the killing of Richie Porter or not, I guess it was, right? Whatever drove him down here put him in a position where he had to rely on, you know, people like Jim Jim and Drawbreaker, And that ain't people you rely on because they will kill you. And so they took a shot at him. That's what my understanding of it is. So, I wish I would have been able to prove the case at the time.
0: So how did you find out about Wayne Perry? Because, first of all, you did a, you did a, you did a uh, I don't know if you did the interview with a, uh, a guy named Gully? Did you do an interview with the guy? that guy? I heard about an interview on this channel, Gully TV. It was... I didn't do an interview with Gully. Oh.
2: <laughs>
3: Gully took my interview that was done with a retired FBI agent in Philadelphia and apparently decided to put it on a YouTube thing.
0: How did you feel about that?
3: About that interview? Yeah. I thought it was a ripoff. I thought it was, you know... And to this day, the man's never said you know a, a word to me, and he's used my my picture and my words, uh, and I don't know if he's making any money off of it, and I really don't you know I'm, I'm not worried about the money. I'm just worried about the you know the absolute uh nerve of the guy to, to you know think he can uh, do that for somebody.
0: would you uh, would you because uh, exp- it was a good I heard it I, that's how I learned it. I mean, you.
3: back in the day, I might have done something real bad to him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you expected a call? Would you like a call from him or reach out, like you know, to- at least an email, maybe <laughs> <laughs> like a, something? So 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 okay. So it wasn't. It was with a, in a retired FBI. Yeah, I, I,
3: I'd worked all this, the 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 details of that podcast out with the retired agent. Okay. And the other thing I didn't like about because he cut off the important. Well, to me, it wasn't important, but to me, it was it was uh, part of. That whole story was I wanted to tell the story of the price that FBI agents and police officers pay to do this kind of work because it's dangerous mm-hmm. and you know people ought to be remembered.
0: And we but. want to get into that, but before that I want to know two about two people and then I want to get into the remembrance. I want to know about how you know about Rayful Edmund, right? You that? And how did first let's start off with Wayne Perry. How did that come on your desk? How did you find about Wayne well, Perry?
3: Uh, as I told you before, I was I'd, doing the R Street crew, and the R Street crew immediately led into the 1st Street crew, which we got in, uh, that group done right after R Street, and we did uh, 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 a close friend of mine, an associate, did the P Street crew, which uh, involved a guy named Kenny Man Bryant, Ken- Kenneth Ray Bryant, who was another scary killer that D.C., you know, had you know, operating at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the course of all of those investigations, Wayne Perry was the beast over the top
0: of all of it. What is his story that you know? The his only thing
3: story? we knew is that he, he, he was probably uh, fingered on every murder that happened in D.C. I mean, somebody, a body would drop today, and within an hour or two, somebody would call in and say, Wayne Perry did it. Well, we knew that was bullshit, but uh, what it really came down to for me is that well we're going to have to pay attention to him eventually but then i got a call from the captain of homicide after uh, alveda hopkins was murdered uh, when alveda was murdered she had uh, agreed to testify against wayne because she believed that wayne was responsible for the murder of her friend uh froggy james henson does this mean anything mm-hmm. to yeah. okay. um and, they ki- and so wayne killed her well the cops knew that Wayne killed her, but they had nothing. She was left out on 295. There was no crime scene. There was really, you know, no witnesses. They, they had nothing, and so Captain Homicide calls me up and says, "Listen, y'all just finished doing well in R Street and P Street and uh, First Street. So can you come over and I want to give a case over to you." And he gave gave me Wayne Barrett. So I it was that was it.
0: So once he gave you Wayne Perry, let's go into the how you found out about him, like the, the stuff. So he was. We don't know why he was killing the way he was killing. Because mm-hmm. he wasn't a, a hustler, he wasn't a drug dealer, but he no. was an extortionist. In, right. You know, which mean that he would go to the top drug dealers and receive money from him because they were scared of him. Yes. Right.
3: So that it. was that was the plan. I think a lot of the top drug dealers thought that they didn't have to pay tribute to him, and some of them, you know. Regretted that, because <laughs> really? he would take them and rob them and 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 do lots of things to them, like you know burn them with cigarettes and and he had a, he had his own little crew. That was a kind of a side hustle he had. That uh, if there was anybody that he had decided wasn't cooperative with him, they might find themselves snatched one night mm. and spend the night with him and his and his boys, mm. and it wasn't pleasant. And he'd kill some and he wouldn't kill some
0: so let's he it's kind of nope. crazy it sounds it sounds crazy yeah a lot of a lot of when i listened to the interview that you did you were speaking about a lot of the witnesses that were murdered by him mm-hmm. um you fought fi- okay so you found out wayne perry we got to look into him the, the the detective called you and then you move forward now you move forward now when more bodies are dropping, that's when you're looking into him more. What is the next thing that well, comes on your desk about him?
3: It, in the beginning, I was running into brick walls, and uh, but I had I had solid intelligence from reliable sources of information throughout DC. By that point, I'd really we'd built up a cadre, our, meaning my squad, the the agents and the cops that I worked with, had built up a a a, a base that we knew. We were starting to get to a point where we knew almost immediately who did what. And um, there was a double homicide that happened over in Potomac Gardens that I had heard about, uh, and I knew that 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 particular homicide, they charged uh, another dude that I knew about. I'm trying to remember what his name was. Um, Hang on. That's no, why so I that. brought my notes with me. Oh, I'm,
1: I'm surprised it's the first time he used the notes, man. Yeah. Everything yeah. else he, he remembered pretty much the whole show.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, he said he had a bad memory. The big, no, the biggest problem that I've had over the years is I used to have the pretty good memory, and then I've just lost a lot of that.
0: You seem to have a great memory, you seem pretty good to me. Yeah, I, didn't
3: <laughs> know, I, was, I didn't have any issue with you. First time using the notes in what two, two hours? Okay, maybe. yeah. <laughs> Calvin Asay Smith was charged with this double homicide. And. I had three different informants say he wasn't by himself. He was he was working with Wayne that day. So immediately, uh, Acey got charged with the, with with the killing. And so I said, well, I'll just you know sort of shepherd that case along through the U.S. Attorney because the U.S. Attorney I was dealing with at the time was a good guy, and I thought, well, you know, I'll see what happens uh, with the case and and see if I could get an opportunity to talk to the witnesses in that case because obviously they had witnesses that they said that we're going to, you know, uh, implicate Asay in it. I said, it's interesting because they're going to implicate Asay, but they're not going to implicate Wayne. So I never really, you know, I, did, I wasn't like being aggressive about it. I was just saying, okay, let's see what happens. So eventually, and, the, and the, I think it was two or three witnesses, they were women. They lived in Potomac Gardens, and they were all, as far as I recall, they were all heroin addicts. And so they were trouble. And they're getting ready for the trial, and, of course, they needed me to cover them, you know, to put them somewhere. So I said, well, where do you want them? And the U.S. attorney said he wants them in a hotel somewhere that's safe. I said, okay, well, you know, and I put them out in Virginia. And we had them safe. And uh, so eventually I got around to interviewing them, and I'll go through the whole, you know, step-by-step with them, and I'm worried about, you know, their testimony because it sounded weird. Wasn't you know my idea of solid testimony, and the uh, and the detective was working with it. She was like buying everything they said, and I was like, because I knew her, and I was like, you know, you think that's really? She says, well, you know, you know how it is. I mean, they're junkies and they're this and they're, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you're satisfied, you're satisfied. But I'm telling you, you know, everybody's telling me that Wayne was there. Well, we can't, you know, we can't get into that. So I go into them and I just say, you know, was Wayne there? And all three of them turned white, and they, you know, weren't white. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, uh, you know, never mind. Kind of disregard. I'm not going to press you on something. So they testified in the trial, and all three of them fell apart. They got destroyed on the stand by the defense attorney. And But El- Asay got convicted of a gun charge because he couldn't get around the fact that he had a gun. Somebody had apparently had the gun connected to him, and it was the gun, one of the guns that was used to, to shoot these dudes. And they were, you know, Andre Hinkle and another guy. Um, later on, well, at that particular point, so I'm like, I'm dead in the water. These witnesses aren't worth a damn, and so they're not getting me anywhere, and so I've got to work another angle on this. Um, but later on, when I talked to Wayne, he admitted it. Yeah, I did that. So I knew that that case is kind of where things started for me, and that was I was getting the right information from, you know, the people that were talking to me. Um, Trying to remember what led us in the right direction. Okay, so I I said I'm going back to square one. Mm -hmm. One thing that we know is that he's running around with Alpo right now. And I didn't know Alpo from Adam. But, you know, FBI New York had a warrant on him for kidnapping and something. And uh, my partner, Angelo had gotten this confession from him when he'd been shot up. And so our drug squad was putting together a drug case on Alpo in, in Northern Virginia, which I said, well, you know, that's going to, that's going to work out because, you know, it was all basic testimony from him directly. And so I thought, well, that's going to be a decent case. I said, I just need to get Alpo out of the way because he's making Wayne turn into a vampire. I never get a chance to really do anything, you know, to really uh, target Wayne as to where he's living and, and sort of the normal business that you have to go through to start really working a, a uh, an investigation. You got to really start getting a handle on uh, the details. And we weren't able to get a handle on the details because he wasn't living a normal life. Mm-hmm. We found out later that he and, and Alpo are going to like uh, motels every night or they had a place up, you know, Commodore Joshua Barney, that they would spend night, a couple of nights at, and then they would go someplace else, and they would, so they were just rotating around the city, and and uh, then I heard that Alpo's uh, wife slash girlfriend moved down to DC, and she was, and he seeing her. Then I developed a couple of really good confidential sources on him, including a person that knew, uh, knew his wife and several of the girls that were sort of friends at a, at a beauty salon. And, um, they were the ones that gave me where Alpo was going to be the night he was locked up.
0: The ladies?
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Not the ladies themselves, but my my source that knew all these folks. And so, uh, I happened to be out of town, but I called up, you know, uh, the case agent, the the drug case agent, who was uh, uh, Scott Yao, and Angelo. Of course, Angelo knew him. Angelo had really been the only one in DC that had ever seen the man. And so I said, "Well, he's going to be at so and so tonight." And so they rounded up a team and they they grabbed his ass and got him.
0: And they grabbed him based off of what though? What did they want About there? what my source told me that where he was going to be. He was. He was. No, I know. No, but what was the reason? Was it because of the drugs? I, yeah, they had the drug case. They had the the kidnap case. Okay. All of that was like
3: already baked in. Okay, he was it. a fugitive, got so it. all okay. we had to do was you gotcha. know put his ass in cuffs, and he was going to be in the decision making process that I told you about. Got it. So all, to me, the main thing was get him out of the way, so I can you know spend time on going after Wayne.
0: Do you think that Alpo was smart because he was able to sort of? To some people they say manipulate Wayne or do you think that they both had a genuine love for each other
3: no there was no love um there's no love okay. at least not at least I don't believe there was um Wayne was getting money that was what Wayne was about he was getting money from Alpo cuz Alpo was making sure that he didn't get shot at again <coughs> and Wayne was making sure that he was protected in DC that he wasn't going to get snatched by anybody i mean whatever they were doing was working and I don't think Alpo had the the knowledge of the area enough to know. I mean, I'm sure he was smart enough to be able to figure out, you know, if I go to a hotel every night, I'm, I'm probably not going to – nobody's going to beam on me. But he also knew that he had to do business. Hmm. And the only way he was going to do business is if he had somebody like Wayne with him because that way nobody was going to come at him from the other side. So if I'm going to do drug business, i got to have somebody that's heavy next to me who's going to scare the hell out of whoever, you know, would take a run at me. And really the only person that was serious enough t- for them to worry about was Frey.
0: So Frey wasn't scared of Wayne.
3: <laughs> Hard to say. If you talk to Frey, he'd say no. And if you talk to your friends of Frey, because Frey was an old-timer. He was a, you know, a big-time gangster that had been, you know, been a bank robber when he was a kid and, I mean, a serious, you know, career criminal. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't going to be somebody that was scared of Wayne. But I'm sure he he knew that Wayne was, you know, like a cobra in the grass. And that's what you got to, you know, that's gotta what you, that's the way you got to think
0: about it. How did Wayne Perry find out about all the, the, the witnesses that he was able, because I heard, like I said. Well, he in, killed
3: was- people that were right. If, 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 if all of us are in, in at a club mm-hmm. and we go outside the club and we have an argument. And I kill you. Who else am I going to kill? I may not kill th- this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and this girl tonight, but eventually I'll get around to it.
0: So he visually remembered me. Oh
3: yeah, and that was kind of his approach to things. In other words, the normal murder, like you know, you see a murder mystery and you go, "Wow, that guy was smart. The murderer was smart. He was, Wayne wasn't all you know. I mean, he he." His way about him was smart, but what he operated on was power. His source of what he did was power. So if I kill you in front of all these guys, everybody here right now is scared of me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I rock you to sleep by smiling at you and telling you all this good stuff and all this and that and the other thing. Two weeks from now, I'll kill you. And you're, getting, you're scared and you're scared, mm-hmm. right? But And so who who's got the power now? you do and you know also that I've killed a bunch of other people so that so the way I see it with Wayne it was all about power it was all about i don't care if you're you know a dangerous drug dealer i don't cuz i don't you know cuz i'll yeah. i'll take the hit you want to kill me go ahead and here's something that that Wayne understood that i don't think very that very few people understand i understood it because of my history in the military Okay. When can a cop shoot somebody?
0: A cop can shoot
3: somebody when normal course of business. When can a cop shoot somebody? I think when when
1: Did they get shot at? Yeah, when
3: they're, when they're when they when they're in fear of their life.
1: Of love, yeah. So in other
3: words, if I'm a cop, I gotta react. Wayne didn't react. He acted. Hmm. Very subtle difference. In yeah. other words, if I'm standing talking to you and being nice to you and all that kind of thing, you're not expecting me to pull a gun. No, and, and you're probably if if you if I pull a gun, you're probably thinking, well, you know, he's going to tell me something first, like you no good skunk. Then at least I can react. Wayne didn't work like that. Wayne was boom.
0: You're dead. That's how he worked. I want to ask you a question, and I know you didn't want to talk about this, but I like those notes. I would like to see those notes too, please. <laughs> you ain't um, seeing this. This is my secret stuff. <laughs> <laughs> how did you find out? How did you find out about? Because that's the big news now about Wayne and being a dealing with other men. How did that come to your desk? <laughs> no, why,
2: you la- why are you laughing? Why you laughing for, for? I, I
0: want to
3: know how you found out. How did you, you know? That story drives me crazy. You I know mean, that. We, I heard. I about mean, it. you know. Let me tell you caused it. It's your fault. Look, look, I, apparently, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's your fault. That's that's I crazy. heard yeah. it from like five different people that Thomas Dozier was his his boy in Lorton that's how Thomas Dozier got into it oh. who was Thomas Dozier
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thomas Dozier was his in quotes flunky that everybody you know some of the people talk about Thomas but you Dozier.
0: know you you know because of
3: you that came out it wasn't because of me well look every, I found out as far as I know every everybody <laughs> that I knew knew about it that, and that's and that's what somebody and, and, and let, said let me it. tell you, let me tell you something about Wayne's I don't know
0: Sexuality.
3: Wayne's sexuality is that, you know, I talked to probably 100 women that, man, he's nice. <laughs> he's so pretty. I'm Come on, man. I'm like, okay, he must be doing something right in that department. So I don't know what it is, but the fact that, that a man in prison, and it was like, Alpo was one of the funny ones talking about, he's the one that told us, ain't nothing better than a fat butt boy. That's what Alpo told us.
0: Wait, hold on, hold on.
3: Dan, you ask him. Dan, you ask him, Dan. did he ever tell the mm. FBI, Dan, I ain't Dan. nothing better no, than I, I, a fat black boy? I, I, I ain't going <laughs> to leave. I
0: ain't gonna like, Dan, no, 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 oh, man. Dan, slow down.
3: Hold
0: on. Dan, Dan, slow down. Are you sure? that? Don't say that he said that. I, I, sure. I'm not
3: saying that he's that way. You're missing. No. You're missing. No, dude, you're I, missing. I, I, are you sure that's that, that's he, what, said that? What it like. he said that? He said that. Because I heard it, and I was like, damn, he's, you know. That's, I I never, I never, Heard that from anybody else. I heard it from Alpa. And basically, what he was saying was that you know, uh, sex is sex.
0: And it's, nah, 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 stop you know, it.
3: Whatever. Just stop it. It's not like a. <laughs> stop it, Dan. Stop yeah, it. Dan. But, but but you're. The, all these readers got all upset with it, but they don't care that he killed a hundred people. No. I mean, look. I, I look. I don't give a damn whether Wayne is is gay or not, and I don't really think he is gay. Okay. Mm. What I think is that, you know, when, when he was in Lorton and there was nothing around, but, you know, somebody that, that was willing to, to, to take care of him and, and, and give him the sexual gratification that he wanted, he was okay with that.
0: Do you think that Alpo was saying that just to pull your string or to crack a joke? Because probably. That, yeah, because we never heard Yeah, that, but, yeah. yeah, but
3: probably. No, not, you can, if, if you got a chance to talk to him, you just ask him, did you ever say that to the FBI agents? And if he says no, then he's lying. Well, Not he's a Harlem. He's, he's, he's a guy from Harlem. They crack <laughs> oh, no. jokes, and and, and and cracking jokes is fine. He, he, he was cracking jokes with us, and that was part of it. But it was in that same context. That's what so, I'm so,
1: telling. So, so you. I heard this for that. that. that's an Harlem joke to me, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, slow down. Chill out. <laughs> What's going no Harlem, on in Harlem? Yeah, yeah, no 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 Harlem no, hey, hey, watch your mouth about Harlem, both <laughs> of y'all. I like Harlem. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did the did any men? Because <laughs> you said the guy Tom was the name Thomas. Thomas Dozier. Did he admit to? Have, did you ever Thomas speak Thomas Dozier's to, dead. He, he died. He got killed by. <laughs> okay, never mind. By, don't do that. Don't do that, Dan. Don't do. Don't don't don't, don't, don't hold out on us. He was
3: killed by a guy named Poochie, who was Frey's nephew. Thomas Dozier was.
0: And why did Frey's nephew kill him? Man, you
3: nah. I I can't. I can't go there, because respect. It's already controversy.
0: Right now, it's controversy. Right mm-hmm. now, to this day. It, Frey is dead, right? Yeah, but he didn't. Was he killed?
3: Frey was killed by Michael Jackson, a dude from the Madness Shop. Right where? The Madness Shop up in de- you, know, you see, I'm talking DC <laughs> stuff. So you. Michael Jackson. So Michael Jackson was a drug dealer who worked with a bunch of guys up in northwest, and he came to Wayne and Alpo and said, "Your boy Frey's coming at you," and both Wayne and and Poe understood that. They weren't going to ever get next to Frey. They weren't going to be able to get at him. And he said, Don't worry, I'll take care of him. But you got to give me a key. Kilo. And they, yeah, go ahead. And so Michael got a couple of guys and they jumped in the car with Frey and put a bullet in his head, in the back of his head.
0: But, 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 Mm-hmm. Why was Michael Jackson able to get? Who, first of all, who is Michael? The only Michael Jackson I know. I recall, I was no, so, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah, is yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is
3: a this is a uh, drug dealer who's in prison, probably for a long time. Still, at least I hope the hell he's in prison.
0: Michael Jackson. That's Jackson his is his name, and he so he was close to Frey. That's how he was able to do that. Yeah,
3: because the, you know Frey had contacts mostly in southeast, but you, you got to understand DC is a small town. I mean, everybody knows everybody, and Michael Jackson was the type of guy who Frey would probably let in the car behind him. In other words, Frey wasn't going to let Wayne in a in car, and he wasn't going to let any of, of uh, Wayne's people in the car with him. That wasn't happening.
0: Did you ever speak to Michael Jackson to find out why did he— why did he?
3: Well, that's a funny story.
0: Tell me. I want to know. Well, we locked him up for that murder. For Frey's murder?
3: Yeah, and uh, and I thought, wow. And, but, but he was also deeply involved in a big drug operation that was going out of Lewisburg with, uh, with uh, Rafel. And so the U.S. Attorney's Office said, well, you can lock him up for the murder, but we really want him on this drug stuff. It's another part of the political mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, well, since it's my warrant... I get to go on the arrest, don't I? <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go on the arrest. And and the guy who wanted to do the whole thing um, was a, one of the drug agents who, he was a friend, but he had kind of gone off in a different direction uh, on one of my cases that I didn't particularly like. And, I, you know, I was okay with it, but, you know, <clears throat> I was like, you know, this is just inside stuff that mm-hmm. is really is totally irrelevant. But the but the bottom line is, is I'm laying down on the on the on the 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 the, the bed in in the because in, they wanted him arrested and brought to a hotel room instead of brought to the office. They didn't want anybody to know that he was being charged, you know, with any kind of crime. And I, to this day, I, I'm like at a loss. Well, what they didn't tell me was as soon as they locked him up, they said. Don't worry. You can you can talk to us. You can tell us anything you want. We won't use anything you want you say against us, against you. And I'm like, I wasn't there, so basically they're giving him his Miranda. And I, anytime we arrested somebody, you give them a Miranda and you give them a legit Miranda. You say, hey, you know, you need a lawyer? We'll get one for you, et cetera, et cetera. You know the normal Miranda rights. But then we say, would you like to talk to us? Do you want to waive your rights? And they, if they say yes, then we go okay, and then we're interviewing him. We're talking to them about anything. Well, so I come in at like 20 minutes after he's locked up and I'm laying on the, on the, on the, and so I'm just bullshitting with him. Hey, Michael, what's up? So, you know, I'm the one that's got the warrant for your ass. And he's like, oh, really? (coughs) And I said, yeah, dude, so, so, so tell me, why'd you kill Fred? Man, that's some bullshit. I did, man, 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 man. And I said. Well man, we got three witnesses that tell tell us that you did. What the hell were they doing? Were they looking out the were they were they standing around on the street while I was looking out the window at him? Well that's exactly what the witnesses saw. When he was driving down Bryant Street, he's in the back seat of the car and I had three civilians, regular folks that lived on Bryant Street who were looking at the same thing especially after the gunshot. And they saw his face under the streetlight, and I said, "Well, dude, I didn't tell you anything about a car, and I didn't tell you anything about you looking out the, the window, and I didn't tell." You. So, yeah, that's exactly right. They saw you stick your face out the window when you shot the dude, and he's like, "Well, wait, a you know," so he starts backpedaling on me. I said, "Man, enough said. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need nothing from you." And so I left, and I wrote my report, and then I was told that they got given him a free ride. That nothing he could say could be used against
0: him. So you, we don't know why he killed him. Oh, I know why he
3: killed him. I mean, Poe knows why he killed. Him. Ask Alpo next time we talk to him. Why Michael Jackson killed Frey?
2: So
0: where does Sean Branch come in? Because Sean said that you had mentioned him. Come on, man! Yeah. On come on, Sean. I like Sean. Sean said <laughs> sh- sh- no, he's, a, he's a nice guy. Jimmy. Sh- Sean said that you. Had yeah, a-
3: because because the the ten families of people that he's uh, of the people that he's killed haven't come to you and said, "Man, that's wrong that you're talking to Sean."
0: Hold on. A lot of us no. have. Wait, wait. Look, you, just, no, wait, you wait, don't understand. Hey, no, Sean, understand. Sean but, Branch. Sean on, Branch hold on, hold on, hold on, was a, a dangerous. Human being you're going against your belief as far as in God because you said God you said this you said God's forgiveness or or what you said earlier he hasn't been he hasn't been paid earlier. the
3: price for the other people he's killed but
0: you also said I, and court? God's
3: forgiveness has got to got to involve God, you know, the,
0: the, that that our penance that we have to pay. I got it, but you also said that you're not here to do, I mean we I'd can, we can, right. we can, we can
3: I, I, I got you. All right, you're with me. No, no, no. I'm no, with I, you. I'm, I'm okay. I, I, what I'm saying to you is What I'm saying to you is what I'm saying to you is that um um anything Sean Branch tells you is going to be self-serving to Sean Branch, which is fine. Mm. If I could if I could if I could have charged him with With his participation in a murder, I would have definitely done it. But I'm partly responsible for uh, the fact that he got convicted of the Michael Green case. Okay. Partly. Because I gave the guys who were working the case the right witness in the Michael Green case. But they also had him charged with the Monty Glenn murder, and somehow he got off of that. And he also beat another case because the witness who testified against him testified in... uh, a hearing on, or t- testified in a trial on Friday afternoon. And he went home for the weekend because court, you know, took off the weekend. And lo and behold, the witness got killed over the weekend, and they never got an opportunity to cross-examine that witness. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you think that happened? It's a, It's a miracle
0: it's not America don't be
2: sarcastic
0: (laughs) but but, but what I'm asking you is that but how how did you first hear about his name how did it come Sean because because Sean said that you said in the interview I didn't hear this part but he said that you said in the interview that he went to go speak to Wayne Perry Mm -hmm. about Michael Jackson but Sean said that wasn't true he said he didn't know where you got the information from Yeah, that's what he said in the interview I know
3: I know what he said he's wrong he said he went to talk to, to to Wayne about Demencio Benson's murder. That's what he said he did. Demencio Benson, yes. All right. Now, let me tell you something. He and Wayne were on the street together for months before Wayne got locked up. And he rightfully would have gone if he wanted to talk to him about Demencio Benson. Domencio Benson had died a year earlier, remember. This is night Domencio Benson got killed in the summer ninety one.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. All right. Sean's out at least by April of 92. Wayne doesn't get locked up until mid-June, mid-July, I'm sorry, of 92. So he has two or three months that if he needs to go talk to Wayne about his friend Domencio, he could do it not in the Prince George's County Jail, which is, if you're going to talk to somebody about a murder, it's probably not a good idea to go talking to them. In jail over the phones that could be, you know, tape recorded. I wish they were, but they weren't. That's just a, you know, an unfortunate circumstance of that particular jail at that particular time. But the bottom line is his story doesn't make any sense. But then how And okay. Thomas Dozier dies a week later.
0: But how would we really know We don't. The and if needed. and if
3: we did, oh, I know the conversation took place because I have the I had the logs at the time. I had the logs from the jail. I'm like, what the hell is? Because I'm talking to the guys who are working Sean Branch. I'm like, what the hell, is Sean Branch visiting Wayne? Because I got I got just they would periodically send me his visitors log, <coughs> and so I'm getting this. I'm like, and so I'm talking to the, the the guys who are working Sean, and they're like, we don't know what they're talking about. Dozier gets killed. I was tr- getting, I was trying to talk to the U.S. Attorney's office into letting me go at Dozier again because Wayne's locked up, and I figured now's the time to get Dozier and him because I he would be able to tell us, you know, how he got Frey's gu- the gun that killed Frey. So, you're not putting it together yet, man. I'm not gonna I'm not going I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm I'm not gonna I, I, make it easy. I'm for about
2: him. to put it together. So you trying to say that
0: <laughs> that Wayne told Sean to?
3: I'm not gonna put it together for you because you're you're on the right track, but I'm not gonna tell you any more than
0: that. Well, hold on, Mr. Dad, We, we, gotta, <laughs> we gotta we got we got we gotta be sure that this information you write is right, man. Can't just be. Putting I don't. Hey, look, Mr. Dad, if
3: I would have thought I was enough trouble already, I know. But if <laughs> I thought if I would have thought I was right, I would have locked his ass up back then for it. Except that he already got locked up for killing Michael Green. So the point the point is is that you know everything was working at that. We didn't know who killed uh, Thomas Dozier until I got called months later, months after it all happened, and they told me Poochie did it. I said, "Why in the hell did Poochie do it?" Dozier didn't have anything to do with killing Frey, and then it all sort of struck me. Now later on, I talked to Wayne. And all I can say is, Wayne told me what he told me about the whole circumstance. And it involves Sean Branch. You saying?
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: I don't know. So, to, what do I believe? What's my opinion? What you know? What's the truth?
0: You're a very sarcastic guy, Mister. Yeah, Dad. but
3: you see, what you don't understand is that's who you're dealing with. You with when you're dealing with these guys, when they're talking to you straight up, they're dealing. You're dealing with their perspective on life. You're mm-hmm. dealing with their understanding of how they need to keep. He knows that if it was the truth, if he admitted to it on your show, that he could be charged with murder. Because there is no uh, statute, statute of limitations on that murder. That murder is still on the books. And I don't think it's been closed yet because Pucci died shortly after that. nobody They might have closed it on Pucci, but that doesn't mean anything. Wow. If they had enough evidence to prove that somebody was involved in a conspiracy on it, they'd charge it. I did what I could. I gave, I gave the police all the reports.
0: Was he ever interviewed? I think Sean was interviewed. Not by- me.
3: I mean, we couldn't talk to him. I mean, once he got charged in our cases, which were several, the Monty Glenn and the and the Green case, I mean, you know, he had an attorney and he was, you know, and he got convicted.
0: I have three more things I want to say before. No, no, wait, hold on, because I want—I definitely want to hear about the what you guys go through because that's something that you said that you wanted to speak about, and we have flipped the script. I want to let you speak about that, not let you, but you know. One question I have is the takedown of Wayne Perry. I want to know how that went down. Oh, well, that was that was really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to know about Ruffell Edmund. Rafael Edmund. Edmund. Look, Amon. I drove out.
3: I drove out to Prince George's County Jail in my. Cadillac.
0: <laughs> Remember that Cadillac
3: thing? Yeah. And I put him in the back of my Cadillac and drove him into D.C. And that was the takedown of Wayne Perry. <laughs> How did you get him? Because he was already locked up. He'd gotten locked up by Prince George's County on a on a sham drug deal. He was there for some dude that was trying to sell crack to the cops. The guy didn't know it was the cops. And it turned out that the, the, the coke that he was trying to sell, the crack that he was trying to sell, was bullshit. It was whatever, you know, whatever phony stuff that he come up with. He just uh whoever Wayne's friend was thought that, you know and so we were like well, we're like two months away from indicting his ass for, you know, several murders. So is there any way Prince George's County you can hold him? And they went, Sure. We'll charge him with the uh you know, tempted sale of sham cocaine, which is some charge out there. And it'll be a misdemeanor and they'll keep him in prison for I don't know, three or four months. And that's what they did. And basically what I was trying to do was at that point, I'm, I'm talking to civilian witnesses, trying to make sure that everybody's going to be safe and that we're all squared away because when we indict, we got to be ready to rock and roll with the right witnesses. And that's what we were doing. So we were just lining up our ducks to make sure our witnesses were safe because, I mean, our case was primarily based on forensics and ALPO and two or three other dudes that we had that were insiders that knew what was going on, that were there when little Gary got killed, that were there when, you know, this happened and that happened. Mm-hmm. So but but all of it came down to preparation. And of course the US Attorney's Office wanted to put him to death. And so they were bouncing back and forth between us and the Department of Justice on whether they were gonna do a death penalty thing on him, Which was stupid because it's D C and he'd never been they'd never gotten a death penalty on him
0: the conversation between you and Wayne because you said that he was uh he was uh I don't, I, I well, don't when, want to mis- when I don't want to misquote you the
3: first time he was arrested in Prince George's County I went out and interviewed him and I said um you know we got all this stuff pending in DC you know that he goes yeah 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 because by that point it was obvious that Alpo was cooperating et cetera, et cetera. and I said so you want to talk about it he says And that's when I've always said that Wayne was very respectful. And he said, to be honest with you, he says, no, I really can't do that. He says, I will be glad to talk to you after all this court stuff's over. And that's how he left it. And so we went through the process. 1994, when he pled guilty in March of 94, um, it was a month or so later after that, I was trying to talk the the, – behavioral science unit in Quantico to go interview him. I said, this guy's killed a lot of people. So I don't know if he's a serial killer or what, but he's killed a lot of people. And y'all and at this time they were just really kind of on a roll talking to, you know, uh violent sexual killers and all that kind of stuff. And I said, this would be a little bit different character that you might be interested in talking to. And so they said, Well, he's not a sexual predator, so therefore we're not gonna talk to him. And I'm like well, he's killed a lot of women for no good reason, and we don't know why. And he goes, and they were like, look, you know, that's our rule. We're not going to do it. I said, okay. So I said, well, I'll go. and Because I wanted to – I didn't really want to go out there and talk to him, but I thought we should do something about it. And so I went down there to um, – he was being held in Petersburg, Virginia at the time. And I went down there, and I interviewed him, and he he closed he closed like four murders four or five murders for me that day. And I said, you know, because the the plea agreement he was under was anything he did in D.C. he could not be charged with. And the deal that he and I made was that uh, he wasn't going to be talking about any cases that he did with other people, which he admitted at the time was a lot. So if I killed the person on my own or if the person who killed with me is dead, then I'll tell you about it. That was the deal that he and I made and um, so I came back, and I had a you know nice report on three or four homicides that we knew he was good for from the homicide investigation stuff. So I said, you know, there's four. We got him. We got him right now with you know ten, fifteen homicides. So I got permission to go out to Colorado and interview him to, twice more. So I went out and it was probably 6 months after that. And but by that time we were locking up friends of his in Southwest. And I had uh <laughs> I'd arrested one of his good buddies and when I arrested him <laughs> it's kind of a long story. <laughs> so I drive I'm driving through Southwest and I see one of our main targets from the new case, the spinoff case from Wayne, standing out there selling weed. And I said, well, you know, if nothing else, we can go out and lock his ass up. We can jump out on him and lock him up. <coughs> and so uh, I called the case agent on it, and he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I went, okay. So I rounded up a team, and I put all my young fast guys in the back of the buildings because I said, as soon as we come in on him direct, he's going to run straight back to the alley. Logical to me, made a lot of sense, but I had people coming from every direction. So by that time I got a new car, so I had a knack. (laughs) Anyway, so when I turn the corner, he sees me and he of course calls me the name that he always calls me because he hates me. Uh, And he turns and doesn't run to the alley. He runs towards me. And I'm like, and we're like this. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And then he turns and he starts heading across the street in front of me. By that time, my car hits him, pops him up in the air. You know, he's like flying in the air and he lands on the the uh, the ground and lands on a concrete, you know, curb. And uh, I put my gun in his ear because you know he really wasn't very nice to me, so I figured I'm not going to be nice to him. And I said, "You're under arrest," and because he's there with like. 30 bags of weed. So, you know, it wasn't a great case. I didn't really care for it to be a great case. It was just a thing of, we're gonna lock you up. Well, he looks up at me and then spits blood out. And I'm like, dude, are you all right? And he's spitting it and coughing blood. So I call an ambulance, we're getting to the hospital and apparently cracked a rib and uh, punctured his lung. Well, so two weeks later, three weeks later, whatever it was, I go to see Wayne, and Wayne's pissed off at me. Why'd you guys kill Vincent like that? I said, I didn't kill him. He goes, Man, you almost did. I said, I said Man, do you believe what he did? Did he tell you what he did? He said, well, What? I said, Well, a knucklehead ran right in front of my car. What was I supposed to do? After we, you know, after he admonished me for trying to kill his friend.
0: Wait, did he, he die from that accident? Hell
3: no. I mean, we convicted him later. He's, he's in jail, too, for murder and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. But the point is, is that uh, that was the second time I saw Wayne. And so at that point, it was one of these things where I had to go back and forth with him on proving that I was worth talking to. And I said, man, you know, if you don't want to talk to me. You don't have to talk to me. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, you close these cases, nobody else is going to be getting charged
0: with them. So he didn't want to get nobody else in trouble.
3: Right. And he's saying, you know, dude, I'll tell you what I did. And I said, that, what, what it's really all about here is that if there's an you know, outstanding homicide case out there and somebody else gets charged with it, you're going to feel bad, aren't you? Yeah, man, that's right. But he didn't really mean it, but he, yeah, he went along with it. So we ended up closing 30 homicides.
0: Did he tell you how you felt about Alpo? Did you ever talk about Alpo? To you yeah, yet?
3: but we didn't get into it much. I mean, it was clear. I mean, he knew, you know. I mean, he, any, according to him, anybody that was a snitch, was a rat, was a piece of garbage, was, you know, whatever. And I said, but the man didn't have a choice. And, but I didn't get into it with him. But, I, but what he did not trust me on was uh, the fact that the gun that was used to kill Frey that I found in his car, in Wayne's car, was the actual gun that killed Frey. And I was like, no, man, well, I ain't lying about that. I mean, you know, the FBI lab, you know, they didn't give me some bogus damn report. I said, That's as far as I know, that's the gun that was used to kill Frey. So he goes, it couldn't have been. Cuz I got it from some girl. And I went, "Really?" I said, "Did you have anything to do with and I named to do?" And he goes, "Well, maybe." <laughs> 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 and I said, "Well, let me let me run this by you cuz they didn't like you. They sent Mike to do your, you know, dirt for you. And now they're trying to put the whole thing back on you by Frame giving him. you the gun."
2: Yeah.
0: Got
3: I you. said, you got played, dude. And that's why you had to take the heat on that case. Well, I didn't plead to it. I said, it doesn't matter. Everybody believes you did it. You know, just because he didn't pull the trigger, he, did, he didn't do the deed.
0: Okay, last question. And then, grateful Edmund, what did you know about him? Well, I interviewed him a bunch of times. I mean,
3: he, was, he brought crack to D.C. I mean, he was like, you know, was he nice? Oh yeah, he was. He was Alpo.
0: You see that hypocrisy? Let me get. I gotta get at you. No, wait a minute. No,
3: no, you yeah, yeah, yeah. don't understand yeah, what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Well, clear, you know, my it job, it my it job it was is. to my job was to lock people up, but okay. also part of my job was to try to try to you know try to get folks to talk. I. It's not about me being you know some kind of asshole.
0: I don't think you're an asshole. No, it's,
3: <laughs> okay. but that's what I'm saying. It's, I can't do that. I couldn't do what I did if I was an asshole. I had to at least try to find ways to engage people. And, you know, if, you, if, if, I, if I meet an impressive person, he's an impressive person. He may be the most morally corrupt person in the world, but doesn't keep him from being an impressive person. Alpo, for example, could have been whatever in, in uh, the New York Stock Exchange. Do you believe that? By the way he talks, yes. Exactly. Why is he selling drugs? In other words, that man could have been so much better of a human being. Same thing with Raful. He could have been so much better of a human being if he would have just said to himself, I'm an impressive person. I can you know, change people's minds. I can engage people. I can talk to people. I can be better as a human being. Not that I'm going to destroy a thousand families tomorrow. That's what—that's the, the decision-making process they made. Not that I'm going to kill 12 people tomorrow. Hey, Wayne was funny. If you ever get an opportunity to talk to Wayne, you'll get a kick out of it. I'm telling you, he is a funny guy. He'll make you laugh. And if you don't laugh, something else could happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: But Rayful, the type of guy was I, I, Was well, He wasn't a violent guy, was he?
3: No. Not that I'm aware of. They... they he had a, a couple of guys, whitey, and a few guys that did that put people in the dirt for him uh but as far as we know, he never killed anybody i mean I you know nothing that I ever heard about. He just broke crack to d c and was an extraordinary entrepreneur for dealing the dealing the stuff on the streets and everybody he he dealt he dealt wholesale and retail so he had his retail operation on Orleans place and he dealt wholesale so every time he he uh would bring the the crack in in huge quantities, you know twenty thirty kilos at a time, fifty kilos whatever from usually from California because he made big connections out in Las Vegas I heard i mean I don't know you know I don't know anything about the specifics of his case, but uh, I mean the guy made money boatloads of money mm. and uh, uh and had you know he had his retail operation and he had his wholesale operation, and so everybody got supplied by him for a
0: while. Was, he out, was Alpo out at the same time that he was out? Were they out at the same time? I,
3: Alpo more or less replaced him. Hmm. Alpo came to D.C. right around the time that Rafal got put away. But at the same time, you know, uh, Rafal gets in, uh, put into, uh, what the hell is the name of the prison up in Pennsylvania? Uh, I can't think of it. It's up in Pennsylvania. He that's when he hooks up with uh one of uh who's the big uh coke dealer from the from Colombia uh that's a uh, the ladies Med- Medellin cartel cartel leader Medellin cartel leader uh had some kind of relative that was in prison with with Rafel. and so Rafeel uh, established a big, huge connect mm. out of the prison, and what they did was they would bring twenty, thirty kilos at a time in in the back of rental cars and and uh, hand the rental car off to you know drug dealer X, drug dealer Y in D.C., and that was the that was the way it functioned. So Rafeel's like running the operation basically from. The prison, and uh, turns out that we got up on his phones and and found out everything about it. Michael Jackson was involved in. It.
0: Why? What made them? He flipped. Rayful told. Yeah, eventually, he told. Eventually, um, did you know why he told? Do you know the story about he? Told? So,
3: because his mama, you know, was not really doing well in in prison and wanted out, and he had an opportunity to do it. When that prison case was a whole brand new thing. In other words, he was already doing life without parole for drug dealing on the streets of D.C.
0: Oh, he was doing life without parole? Yeah. It?
3: And so basically what what they said at the time was, uh, okay, we're going to charge you again, and I guess, I don't know, We're going to when you die, we're going to pick you back up and let you do another life. I don't know what they were going to do, but they were going to give him more time. And he said, well, do you want my help? Or something like that. I don't know how the deal got.
0: I heard they they were trying to work on getting him home.
3: That's that's what I'm getting at. So um, that's when I actually first interviewed him. Was his plan was to give up all the information that he could about any murders that he knew about, et cetera, et cetera. So part of part of why I ended ended up interviewing him was I needed to see if I could, if he would help me close a couple of murder cases that he knew pretty well about, which was one specifically. Was Evelyn Carter's boyfriend? I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. E- e- Evelyn was the the guy that uh, was killed by, as you know, as a result of Wayne's uh, orders. Evelyn Carter was a woman, though. Yeah, beautiful, nice young girl who uh, was dating a guy named Feldman Hampton, but she was also later after Feldman got killed, was uh, dating uh, Michael Frey and Wayne. Apparently, they had had a relationship. And so at some point, I guess Frey probably said, he ain't going out with him and me. And so whatever, she chose you know Frey over Wayne, and that pissed
0: Wayne off. And that's the story where you told when I heard that he had the guy. Yeah, but I've been told
3: that, of course, that that doesn't make any sense because Wayne had all these other girlfriends. It wasn't about having girlfriends. It was about Wayne's power. Power, yes. I mean, that's the bottom line, and if you understand that, to me, that makes sense. Now, if he wants to tell me that he, I mean, he, he claimed to, to, to Alpo that he killed her because she was a snitch. Well, that was bullshit. She wasn't snitching anybody. I tried to get her to snitch. She wouldn't. She, she, she kidding? I mean, Felman had just gotten killed, and Felman's sister, Wanda, had just been killed. Mm. So she's like, I ain't talking to anybody. I mean I understood it but I you know I had to try because I co- was trying to close close Feldman's case.
0: What was the deal you guys made with Raymond? Well, maybe that's what he was getting. We didn't
3: make a I didn't make a deal. I was no part of the deal that was made with okay. him. But what I what I ended up doing was I had some follow up. I wanted to see if I could close the the Hampton case. Mr. Hampton, nice man. Lost his daughter and his son and had come had called me up and asked me if I could uh you know, do something about it. I, I said, well, I know who did it. There's some Southeast dudes that I know who did it, but I couldn't prove it. And then, you know, I got the word that, that Ray knew about it. And he knew, but he, you know, wasn't anything we could use. Wasn't like testimonial evidence or something. It was just some, some background that I already sort of had connections on. So hmm. I couldn't get there. Couldn't, I couldn't do anything for Mr. Hampton. And I felt bad about it. I mean, you know, nice man. Lost two children.
0: Yeah. I would say this, though. <laughs> me I would say this.
3: Am I in trouble, Danny?
0: No, not No,
3: Big Dan is my man. I've been, I've been telling y'all some shit that I shouldn't be telling you. Big Dan is my man.
0: <laughs> So don't get him involved in this. He's a big guy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> big day. We can't even imagine that you have a son that big, man, okay? Big de- but what I would say is That's that... That's why I brought him with me. Today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is that um, I understand. Um, I understand your standpoint. I want you to hear this from my mouth to your ears. I understand your standpoint. There's not one time that I don't understand what you're saying or how people should look at things. But in, 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 in what I'm saying is that we have to remember how the neighborhoods we grew up in and how society is. A lot of things are fed to the children where they idolize people that you know, morally, we all know morally, if you go out there and kill a, 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 a woman or kill somebody in front of their kids or give drugs, we all know that's incorrect. But do you think that these days the kids are thinking about that or are they thinking about the, the benefits that happen of getting money? you think that they think that deep and this is where you come in because you're like okay you guys are praising this but you got to remember that these guys are cold-blooded murderers and to be honest i don't think anybody gets that deep everybody people don't like alpo because they feel that yo how can you kill your friend rich porter over some that's how people when you think deep i think it's not presented to the youth as far as like yo They've been doing some stuff. They've been going out there killing girls. They kill a mother. they killing kids and stuff. I don't think it's presented like that. So I understand your passion. I do.
3: Let me me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Uh, Let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story. Tell me a story. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a story. The most courageous person I've ever met in my life, and I didn't really meet her very long. I just sort of got to to know her, and I saw her in in court. 19-year-old woman. She goes to a party in Southwest. Hangs around with a couple of dudes. A guy named Woozy and some other dudes. Everything's cool party, fun, blah, 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 this and that and the other thing. She's just there for a good time. She leaves. The next time she comes to another party, because they invite her to another party, they decide Woozy had decided she was a snitch. No reason. She's too, she's too familiar. She's asking too many questions. I don't like her. So they take her up to a house in D.C. Up, up up, on North Capitol Street. They gang rape her, like six dudes. They strip her down, beat her, take her out into Prince George's County, into the woods, way out, you know, where there's no houses or anything like that, in a snowstorm, leave her out there naked, and drive off, okay? Six months later, we lock up that whole crew. We got one of them talking. And we debrief, what they call debriefing. We're debriefing. We're going through what's the truth, what isn't the truth. You know, tell us everything. Tell us everything you know. You got to tell us the dirt you did with these guys that they know about. Because if you don't tell us that, they're going to bring it up to you when you're on the stand and you're going to look like an asshole. That you were lying and telling the feds this and telling the feds that. But you didn't tell them all the truth. Man starts crying. But man, I can't tell you. No, you gotta tell us. We didn't know what it was. We had no idea. He said, man, we did this to this girl. And we killed her. I know she's dead, she has to be dead. Okay? So we start backtracking. When did this happen? You know, where in Prince George's County did you drop her? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And lo and behold, we find a police report She had somehow walked a half a mile from where they dropped her off through a wooded area and got to a farmhouse. And there's the people there in the farmhouse, and they're going, my God, what in the hell? So they bring her inside. She's naked. She's cold. She's about to die. And they call the police, and they put blankets on her, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, she tells the police, I don't know who did it, when she knows damn well who did it. But she's like, I don't know who did it because she's like, Whatever I did got me into this shit, and I'm not doing it ever again. So it took we we had a brand new agent, just got out of Quantico, nice kid, been a cop for a while. We said, "This lady, you got to go talk to." And she, by this time, she had sort of, you know, she wasn't playing games anymore. She didn't go out, blah blah blah, this and, that. and In fact, she was getting ready to get married, and. She was struggling, struggling with everything. And he says, well, you know, do you want to, You want us to lock those guys up for it? Do you want us to charge her? Charge them. And she goes, well, it's kind of like that. That might help. So she walks through the whole process, the whole thing of, and we charge those guys with kidnap and rape and attempted murder on top of all the other stuff that we charge them with all the drug dealing and all that kind of stuff, and the killing, and the other killings that they'd done. She, she goes, she's first up on the witness stand. She stands up there and points to each one of the people that had done what they'd done to. That's him. He's the one that did this to me. That's him. He's the one that did this to me. All the way down the line to all of those people. The jury was done. I mean, the trial was going to last another few weeks, but the jury was like, we don't need to hear anything else. These guys are going to jail for whatever reason, whatever the government wants us to, to put them in jail for. That's courage. That young woman is the reason why anything I did was just, you know, doing my minor bullshit of talking people into doing stuff that maybe they don't want to do. You got you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm and we you. have to recognize that courage. And if we're not recognizing that courage over these people that you're talking about if we're not recognizing how important it is for for people to do that the mother this young girl if we're not recognizing that even if we're not recognizing informants like my informant that that all all he was about was telling me about his friend that got killed i mean i you're you're talking about the morality of all this but this is like no we don't we can't let this happen. We can't let this happen in your community. We can't let this happen in my community. Nobody's community needs to do this. Somewhere along the line, we got to get better at this. That's what. I, that's why I teach. The only reason I teach is I want those people in that classroom to listen to the stories that I'm telling them and let them sort of see for themselves. Because I don't know if they're going to be good police or bad police or if they're going to be good federal agents or bad I don't know. But I'm going to try to instill in them this sense of outrage, that's what I'm talking about. The outrage has to be there. I can kid and 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 laugh and cut up about all of the things that you're talking about because, for example, somebody like Alpo is, you know, a funny guy to hang around with.
0: And I don't hang out with him, but
3: all I'm saying is, but hey, I'll sit down and have a beer with him. I'll sit down and have a beer with Wayne. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that's not sufficient. And when you guys got millions of people that, you know, listen to y'all or whatever, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, and they need to understand that, no, this is not right. This is not good. This is not something that... Because there are people like that young girl. There are people like that mother. There are people like my informant. Rats are not rats. If a a person comes to the conclusion that they have to do the right thing, that's what I always preached, if they come to that conclusion... It's been a pain in the butt for them to get there. It's been a royal pain. Alpo didn't make this decision, you know, because he wanted to to turn his back against his fellow soldiers. No, he made the decision because he had no choice. That the only the, the any other choice he would have made at the time, he would be dead. And I don't know if, I, to this day, I don't know if he has any kids or any family to speak of. He does. It. Am I going to make the decision that I'm never going to see my family again just because this murderer demands that I do that? I you know I just I don't I don't get it. I, I get what you're saying and I get what you're talking about with inside the community and the and the, well, the kids growing them, up yeah. and they're being proper you know and they're they all I'm saying is you guys are in a position where you could like say not so much guys we got to do better. We've got to be better. When I was a college student and learning what I had to learn in order to get into law enforcement and get into becoming a, an FBI agent and all those kinds of things, I was like stupid as everybody else is. And I, but, but I understood at that particular point that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I don't, I don't uh, screw up somebody's civil rights. I don't do anything that would embarrass my son. I don't do anything that would embarrass my wife or, or make them feel bad about what I did for a living. Understood. But in order for us to be that way, we have to remember that, yeah, there's perspective, that these guys are gonna say things that are their that are in their best interest, and sometimes they're gonna have different recollections than even they even know themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't you know, I don't know the reason for that. You know. Why is there a black lives matter in this in this country when most of the black people in this country are killed by other black people? Not most of them are killed by cops. But and I'm I don't want to you know, I don't want to disrespect that that movement because I'm not. I'm but what I'm saying to you is that what happens right now, if we if if we can if we can go back and learn anything from the past. Remember that Washington, D.C. used to be had the highest closure rate of murders in the United States and probably the world because the people in this community wouldn't put up with that bullshit. And that's kind of where we have to go back to. So everybody that, that listens to your podcast and, and, you know, they're not going to be people that I have a whole lot of dealings with. Everybody that listens to your, your information and stuff like that, if they realize or recognize that at some point, we just gotta be better. I that's what I want. I don't you know. I may be lucky to have a couple more years left at this brother. Yeah. Yeah, this is gonna go.
0: This is gonna this is gonna spread. Yeah.
1: Dan for president, man.
0: Dan for president. Yeah, there
1: you go. Dan for president. <laughs> I'm I'm voting All those bad things
0: I
3: did would never come up.
1: I'm voting. <laughs> um so you retired? Yeah. And professional and you know, what what's next for Dan?
3: There's no next. I look, I I, I I when I retired, I I said I was gonna write a book on crime scene examination. I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got to teaching, I you know, somebody asked me if I could write a book on criminal investigations. I did that. So I got two books out. I I've learned how to play the banjo. Okay. <laughs> I get a kick out of folk music and and being crazy. Uh, with my family and stuff like that, that's what's you know. It's all about you know enjoying my life, enjoying my grandchildren. Those two, his sons are like yeah. you know, my heart. You know, enjoying life. That's what's have about to I right have, I, I got to try.
1: That's. <laughs> Well, is is there anything that we didn't, uh, you know, discuss that you well, might want Well, I think to I mention? went too
0: far with you guys. I think I gave you gave too much. much. <laughs> what I want to do is that because you know, all, I, is- all
3: I'm all am asking in in terms of that, all I'm asking is that you understand that uh, we paid a price for dealing with this. That's what I want to mm-hmm. talk about. We paid a price. Um, Martha Dixon, who was one of the people that was killed in in uh, November of ninety four in the DC Police Headquarters was was a cool lady. She was very nice, very solid, good law enforcement. Worked her ass off and made cases. To me, making cases is like part of it. Uh, Billy Christian, exactly the same thing, was a good guy. got shot in the back by a, a piece of dirt, you know, who decided that he ought to kill police officers. That's, hey, hey, it's like you said, people are going to do dirt. They're going to do things wrong. But the point is, is that those were good people, and we lost them all during this time period. And and Hank Daly, they named the police headquarters after him. It's nice. I don't think that's something that any of us want to have. I don't want a police department named after me. Hmm. But the, but good guy. Cared about the community. Cared about the people that he was working with. And you know, and Mike Miller, another good guy, just a good, good hardworking law enforcement officer who cared about this community, even though he was kind of like, like all of us. We were like, okay, we're FBI agents. We think we're hot shit. You know, we ain't all that. But the point is, is that it was about this community. And because of that, we don't, everybody looks at it and says, well. Oh, and one other thing. A friend of mine named Mitch Cradle has done a, uh, a documentary on uh, the families of the murder victims in D.C., and I'd like to you know I don't know how you do it give a shout out to Mitch because I yeah, I think definitely. that's a credible uh program that he's put together I don't I I've never I've seen uh, like snippets of it we've mm-hmm. talked about it over the years and stuff like that but he's given it from the perspective of the families of the families of the victims and well, if there's any way that any of this makes any sense you know putting Wayne Perry away putting you know, Alpo away, putting even rifle away. The only thing that makes any sense is if all these people that were victimized by it, you know, if they were selling crack and making money off of it, people need to say, no, you can't do that. You're not going to do that in my neighborhood. I mean, I, you know, I don't, it's, it, I don't know if you can do it. I don't, you know, but somewhere along the line, it's got to be important enough for all of us to worry about it. And I, that's why, I, that's why I've said what I've said about what, what worries me about, you know, this kind of uh, discussion because I mean, yeah, I can, I can tell you funny stories about Wayne and, and I can tell you funny stories about Alpo and, and all of it comes down to, am I feeding into it? Am I making them more important than they really are? Cause they're not, they're not important. What's important is that those eight, nine year old kids that are sitting in neighborhoods where, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 30 people have been murdered within their shouting distance of
0: their house. That's what that's what matters. Wow. Like I said, I understand, and I I agree. I think that um. You know. Um, I heard that you when I listened to the interview. From, the the ladies podcast, I heard you got into you know you were you you got emotional, and this is what I was asking them. I said, did you hear Dan get emotional because? I heard it. I was falling asleep, and I heard it. I said, Dan is crying? What's going on? That was me crying. Yeah. I was crying. And you were emotional because of the families and the people and, and also fellow officers and agents that are, are killed that you knew or you know of, and do you feel like they're getting their justice? Or, like, you know, how do you, what makes you emotional about it? Obviously, you're a God-fearing man, and, and I just
3: uh, you know I I feel emotional about it because of my loss. I mean, God God's mercy to them is is you know they've got everything. They're 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 where they belong. They're you know they're up there with the in the golden palace or whatever it is. You know they're getting you know what they deserve because they they gave that full measure to their to their country and to their people. Okay, that's what is true. The families that have lost uncles and aunts and boyfriends and and girlfriends and and brothers and sisters and husbands, those families are not going to have that. They're sitting here with holes in their hearts right now, today. I mean, uh, Monty Glenn's family has got a hole in his heart. And Monty Glenn, in my opinion, the person responsible for it has been talking to you guys. You know, there are people, Yolanda uh, Burley, her family's got a hole in their heart. And there's nothing that can be done about that. But the one thing that we should be able to do, and I'm, what the hell am I doing here? The one thing that we should be able to do is just tell them, tell, tell it just exactly like it is. These guys, you know, whatever I say is irrelevant. I mean, I, I, had to, I had to operate in a system that required me to develop the evidence that I needed to go after these guys to charge them with a crime. And I always like to say that I, I did everything I could to put the truth on the table. That's what my job was, was to tell the truth to the extent that I could. And it had to be proved. And it had to be proved not by me. It had to be proved by a jury. A jury had to listen to what I had to say or what the witnesses that I bring in had to say. They have to go through that system, and it has to be vetted. It, somebody has to turn it into, oh, yeah, you're right, or not. I mean, I, the only case that I really lost— was on a dude named Corey Moore. Okay? And bad situation for me. Because I sat there in front of a jury watching while a young man stood in front of that jury and told that jury that that man over there shot me in the neck and almost killed me, and I saw him kill my friend. And the jury said, not guilty. To this day, I don't know why. I mean, it was only five or six of the jurors at one point or another that said that. The rest of them agreed that he, sh- he was guilty. But to this day, we went through four trials on that case. <laughs> and, I mean, when he finally got put in jail on a drug case, I was like eight, nine years after I retired, I called up Reggie, who was the name of the guy, and I told him, I said, Reggie, you know, if you're ever interested in coming back to D.C., you could if you wanted to because he's in jail, and he will be for a long time. <clears throat> but all he did was go with his buddy to drink a cup of Cavassier with, with his buddy and, and, and Corey, and it ended up where he got shot and almost killed.
0: So basically, final word is that we have to put out there that these guys should not be glorified. Please.
3: But it's, you know, you
0: know yourself it's more than that. I know that. it's more than that, yeah. But I, I just mean,
3: y'all, I mean, I, I understand, you, you know, you're in the, the music industry, you know, uh, lots of money being made, lots of people, you know, doing well and all that kind of thing. And it's like, You know, somebody just sitting out there and he's struggling to make it and says, maybe I'll go hustle some crack and maybe that's the the way I'm going to be able to survive. I understand all that. But just when you get into the point where you're making boatloads of it, that's bad news in a lot of different directions that have nothing to do with surviving. I mean, Alpo wasn't just surviving. (laughs) Okay. Wayne wasn't just surviving. They were wearing all nice clothes and driving nice cars and getting whatever they wanted and having girlfriends any way they wanted and how they wanted and all that. And doing all the things that, you know, that people want in their lives. And they were doing it because they were destroying their community. That's the key. But do you know, I, don't, I don't believe anything else other than that. They were destroying their community.
0: And I agree with you. I have to ask the different questions but I, if you ask my personal belief is I understand and agree with everything you're saying as far as like destroying the community and, 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 and selling crack to, to your own people and and you know people kids losing their families and you know mothers becoming crack whores and you know I, crack babies are being born and I, I, I agree I'm just I just want to hear the story if you ask me personally Queens Flip how do you feel I would say I agree poisoning the community is not good a lot of these things should not be put on a pedestal. But in today's society, that's just what happened. We, as who we are, can just tell our personal beliefs and how we feel and hope and preach to the youth that this isn't good, mm-hmm. you shouldn't follow this, and hope that they catch on to it. That's just the truth about it. That's what we live in. But if you ask me, how do you personally feel, But well, I'll tell you, I agree with what you're saying. I don't put anybody on the pedestal. I'm, I'm beating
3: much. you up. I'm beating you up too much. Yeah, you beat like, me
0: oh, up a lot. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm beating you up too much. I, you like, did. And I kept repeating it. <laughs> then I was like, you, you, you zone out, Dan. Like, you, you, like, that's the PTSD Mama Love was talking about, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. I agree. I kept saying, Dan, I understand what you're saying. And, and I get it. Listening to these things and, you know, you're reading the comments. your clip Because you, believe it or not, this is why you didn't, you you were. This didn't blow up because of my stupid. No, Podcast, it, it, no, 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 no. It, it, it's not about <laughs> blowing up. But that was a big thing two years ago. Yeah. You know what you talk. talking about? It was. And the people and... But nobody saw your face. I mean, you saw your picture. And you talking about it, I we can feel the passion. That's our job is to allow you to talk and, and get it out. And I don't want you... Because you did beat me, but I said, oh, Dan, I agree. <laughs> I understand, Dan. You're repeating. And I felt that you were just getting it from from other stuff. It wasn't me because I kept saying Big Dan, I said, I agree. <laughs> I see. I'm just saying that I also can see, not saying I agree with it and not saying that it's right. I'm just saying that from where I grew up and seeing, these, it's pushed to the kids as far as these guys are idols. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's right. I never said it's right. Why don't somebody push that? This officer had ran into a building and, and, and put his life on the line to save the family from burning up or doing something. Put his life on the line to save the kid from getting killed. They are not being pushed to the masses, so I agree with what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I don't want one time for you to say, "Queen, Queen, come on, man, you gotta put it down, girl." Yeah, one. I don't want you to say that one time that I didn't agree. I understand you. I feel you, and that was something that Basky talked to me about. That Dan doesn't want it to feel like uh, the people that are doing the bad are being praised and looked at from a. That's not what we're doing. I'm just. Mm different perspectives, and that's why I flipped the Script is successful, because we put... The, a lot of people going to watch and say, Queen Flip, shut up! <laughs> understand? I get cursed out all the time. But I, I, I agree with you. I can understand, because I heard your interview. A lot of people didn't hear, because it, it was cut off. The, the one where you cried is only 4,000, 5,000 views. The one where you talked about is 800,000 views. I just saw it yesterday. So nobody understands or heard the part. Now, maybe if that part was left in, then maybe people are like, damn... We could feel, you know, the million or 800,000 people that heard it could feel you. It was left out. That's why I understand. That's why I came in. The first day I said, yo, did y'all hear Dan cry? Or am I tripping? Because I went to her page and I listened to it. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the passion and emotion. I get it. Not which I understand. Just it's, it, it's YouTube, the society. This is what we live in today. And it takes people like my son and other people that are great, that don't believe in uh, glorifying criminals, that don't believe in... in Pushing the drugs in your neighborhood to spread it out to the youth. Even me, you know what I mean? Because I don't believe it. I don't want my kids to to go through that or be put through that. I don't. If you mm-hmm. ask me personally, past the past, it's about moving forward. And that's where I leave it at.
2: Yeah. Sh-
0: shout out to you. Thank you. And and, and I accept your apology. You got you <laughs> for, for beating me up. I accept this. Shout out to shout out the big Dan in the back. Yeah. Um. If anybody wants to talk to you, is there any way to get it? Because we, 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 we went through loops. We went through <coughs> in law. And, and right, let,
3: let me tell you what my problem has been. There's been like three or four people that got my email from George Mason, and they emailed me, and one guy <laughs> wouldn't even identify himself and was accusing me of all sorts of terrible lies, and, and I am just said, in the first place, I don't know who the hell you are, and leave me alone because... I got nothing for you. And then this other guy says he's writing the history of D.C. And he's going through and listening to what Wayne said online, what what uh, Alpo said online, and comes back and accuses me of telling him. I said, man, they can tell you all sorts of things. They could be self-serving. They could be telling you stuff that they remember differently. Do you know it's been 30 years? <laughs> I said, give me a break, brother. I said, you know, so I mean, if this generates another, you know, rack of that, I, you know, I would prefer not to, to just. I mean, if somebody wants to do the, 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 the work of trying to find out what my email is at work, I, you know, I'll be glad to try to answer questions. But I'm not, you know. I, you don't want to be reached out. I, somebody I don't, wants want to be, you, don't I don't want anybody reaching out to me, and you know, unless somebody wants to give me a million dollars for being a nice guy. <laughs>
0: Hey, hey stop so you hear it G Money said he was going to give me some, some chains so coming leave Dan alone Dan do not want to be reached out he just wants to I'm good you know I got to play the banjo, banjo. got to play That's the music right? yes okay well thank you Dan thank you for coming on our show for the script it means a lot real talk we appreciate it man um, you know thank you big Dan for, for, for even bringing pops down man I mean you know, Basky, every time, he said, yo, this guy's a nice guy, man. He gave me the house number, like he told me. I said, how's he, you know? He said, no, he's no, he a nice guy. And that's what that's what it means to me. Like, you're nice and see the passion. And I'm happy I got the passion. You beat me up a lot. G-Money got away free. <laughs> it was, he said, yo, you, 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 you did that finger. And I know that finger. Don't don't point at me like that, <laughs> That's why PTSD came out. <laughs> I, saw, I saw you was on the stage. <laughs> G-Money. That's Yo, episode.
1: man, uh, dope episode. Dope episode, you I love right. saying uh comfortable episode. Very you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Dan the man, you know. Dan the man. Dan for president, vote for him, I'm voting for him. <laughs> get the campaign started. But uh, you know, make sure you follow the pages, man, at Flip Descript Pod, at djgmoney Money 156 at Queen's with a Z. Shout out to Michelle one time, shout out to Bassie, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to my cousin Shaka in the building. Shaka. You know what I'm saying? We, we out on his hood, so we had to, you know, we're we gonna go have some drinks and uh get some good food. After the show, Uh Picky Eater is out right now too. Check out Season Three YouTube dot com slash Money Picky Eater. I'm saying we're
3: just gonna. Oh, uh,
1: hold, the, hold hit on, hold on,
0: we're we gonna, we gonna talk to you after. We, we Can I do my outro? As soon as i do my, you see it's just me. <laughs> okay, and You right. You let G Money talk as <laughs> soon as it because be. he <laughs> seems like
3: an important guy.
2: don't give it up, G,
1: man, you call me an important, man, Lasky, isn't that right? Let me see it. See
2: time <laughs> he, you,
0: gee, he cool again! Yeah, man. Oh, gee, gee. He cool again! Let me sign <laughs> up! Right, this is Queen's Flip Man, shout out to the whole team, shout out to Baski. Shout out to m- one of my favorite people right now. Um, Dora the Explorer is in the building. She wants to keep her identity and what she does a secret. I told Dan anyway behind the scenes. But shout out to her for coming here and and you know and being a wonderful listener, I guess. She's gonna talk to me about it later. I can hear it. Shout out to family in the building Shaka, shocker. shocker michelle appreciate you it's a long ride We came here and i definitely got a shout out to dan the man shout out to big dan and shout out to the whole family Rod, yes. one more time because I, right. mm-hmm. I love family yeah, i love family people <laughs> but it's queen's flip man listen lock your doors close your windows close your blinds open your blinds and if you see a guy like dan on your lawn let him in he doesn't mean any harm <laughs> because he will talk to you all night long.